Hey, when does the show start? Hey, wait a minute. <gasps> First, let's hear from our sponsors. Oh, okay. In just a minute. New year, new problems, possibly, unless you got Mad Dog Manny Aurora, the man, the myth, the legend. Aurora Law Firm, specializing in criminal law, pops by the BS twice a month if you have any questions for him. You can always leave it either on our social media. You can shoot us an email by going to our website, podcastthebs.com, or you can call our hotline and leave it there, 404-369-3825. Even possibly set up a one-on-one with you and Mad Dog Manny on the show. He's handled litigation in 19 states, represented many clients, including professional athletes, law enforcement agents, lawyers, and politicians, top 100 national trial lawyers he is the man mad dog manny aurora the aurora law firm.com the aurora law firm.com the a-r-o-r-a law firm.com did you know in 2022 19.86 percent of adults experienced a mental illness issue that's equivalent to nearly 50 million americans just under five percent are experiencing a severe mental illness So what does that tell you? That means maybe you, possibly your friends, maybe your family need some help. Sometimes it's hard to turn to the person right next to you and you need to find that neutral third party. Ridgeline Counseling, Dr. David Markwell and his therapist, they've been uh, with the BS for quite some time, a personal friend and the best at what he does. Markwell Therapy com works with children, adolescents, adults. They offer Spanish-speaking counseling services. They accept insurance, offer self-pay options. Three Georgia locations, East Cobb, Marietta, right near the square, and McKaysville outside of Blue Ridge. But you can always get to them virtually. MarkwellTherapy.com. If you or someone you know needs help, just reach out. MarkwellTherapy.com. We all got to have insurance, right? Or even possibly change insurance, which a lot of people don't know it's a thing and usually saves you a lot of cash. Sean Camp at Country Financial, he's the man. Looking for a new car, you're going to need insurance. You want to get a hold of Sean Camp. A new boat, a new motorcycle, buying a house, all these different things. Sean Camp at Country Financial is going to help you uh, with and walk you through. I wish that my mother would have talked to Sean Camp at Country Financial. She would have had comprehensive, and I wouldn't have had to bought her new windshield. All right, how do you get a hold of Sean? 678-519-9028. 678-519-9028. Make sure you say the BS sent you, right? Get a little extra special rubdown. Sean.camp at countryfinancial.com. You can shoot him an email. S-H-A-U-N dot C-A-M-P at countryfinancial.com. The camp agency at Country Financial. It's your one-stop shop for all your insurable needs. It's time, ladies and gentlemen. After all these years in the radio business, Jason Bailey is finally unfiltered. I don't know what you want. With his bestest buddy and producer, all the way from Mexico, it's Nate, dude. Sit back, enjoy. Here is the podcast that is all about intellectually immature nonsense. Are a very particular set of skills. You will love it. Why? Because I'm Jason's neighbor. I'm old man Kevin. <laughs> and by God, this is the BS. Alright, there it is. Episode 126 of the BS. Thanks for being here. My name's Jason Bailey in the Golden Scissors Studio. All sponsored by Gorenstein and Watkins. Those are our trial and litigation attorney buddies. 
personal injury, wrongful death, contracts, transactions, landlord-tenant disputes, you name it. We'll even give you a cup of coffee. Gorenstein and Watkins. GWtrial.com. GWtrial.com. A lot of you personal injury people out there. 470-491-0808 in Playa del Carmen, Mexico. It's the Nader Tater Vader Masturbator. Hola. Hola. How y'all doing? Good. Good morning. There in Noonan, Georgia, the Zelensky Studios. He's the B-Man trying to sell his B-Man services business. It is Brandon Thrasher. Hello, Brandon. Yo, yo, yo. What up? Hit me up if you want to buy it. Yeah, good good sell right there. Real strong. <laughs> he gets on Shark Tank and does that. Hit me up if you want to spend a quarter of a million dollars. I'm not going to tell you what it's for. Just hit me up, and I'm not giving you information on how to find me. Uh, in with me in the Golden Scissors studio. She's smart. She's salacious. She's vivacious. She's Nikki D. She's an influencer. Hey. She's a doyen. Hey. As we learned on Wednesday's show, we're no longer influencers. We're doyens. <laughs> and sitting in with us once again is mm, our former intern turned co-host and producer of another radio show and now a social media giant because that's where he works. Mm. It is what was once FNG, mm-hmm. then Brando. Evan Brandicio is his name. That's Evan. almost it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> did I not get your last name right? Brandonicio. What did I say? Brandicio. Brandicio. You're not the first, you won't be the last. Brando DCO. There it is. Brandoy? But, but are yeah, you, h- hence the Brando nickname. Brando. Are, are you saying Pam or Pam? There's a B at the end. Is there a D? Is there, I can help you out. <laughs> That's what it's like, home. I think I can help you out with this, Miss Lady. <laughs> That's why F and G works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, easy. It's Three letters. Like, it's just very sad. I know the other day I called him Brandon. I was talking to him on the phone and I was like, I, I don't, I just, not that there's any comparison, but I was the brand, the brand, you know, the brand donate, right? You get the Brandon and I'm just thinking I got Brandon on the brain and uh, I get to a Brandon. You know? my, wife, my wife looks at me like, what are you doing? You can't call him that. <laughs> <laughs> not the first, will be the last. I had uh, one semester of college, three separate emails. One of which was for a professor I was like pretty close with, and they were all addressed to Brandon. So I think I'm just gonna name my kid Brandon just to save the heartbreak. I always <laughs> wanted to know what it would be like growing up with a name that people would mispronounce. Nobody pronounces my name correctly. Nikki D. My Fucking first name. Nikki. No, it's <laughs> no, like her, her real name. It's yeah. like real it's name. like te- it's like Teton or Teton? something. Wait, what is it? It's none Teton. of that. Wait, <laughs> it's, it's, wait. No, I know this. Hang on. Oh, you'll never guess it. No, I do. I know it. I don't need to guess it. What is it? It's like a garbage pail kid name. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Tedra, right? Ted Tiandras? Yeah, everybody says what Nate said. They say Tedra, but it's Tedral. Tedral. Tetris. Tetris. It's not Tetris. Tentpole. Tetris. But I don't go by it, so no worries. Tetris. It's Tedral. Tedral. Yes. Yeah, why don't you go by Tedril? Because I don't like it. It's a horrible name. It's, no, it's made not. up. It's it's different. It's, Every it's name is made right up. up. <laughs> uh, this really made up. My grandmother wanted to name me after my father, who his name's Ted. So my the first three I initials of my that. name are T E D. You know, we need to make it sound girlier, so add a roll at the end. <laughs> but you can walk around and be like, how do I roll? I roll Ted roll. <laughs> no. Yeah. Roll Ted. No. I'm on a roll. I'm on a Ted roll. <laughs> no, I've, I've called all kind of things tip drill, all kind of crazy stuff, so I don't go by it. Who got tip drill from <laughs> Ted roll? Because it's a rap song. That's why. Of course it is. I knew that. Yeah. So, yeah, sure. I know you know. It's one of my faves. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my joints. <laughs> How's it go? 
Uh, what, the tip drill one? Yeah, you oh, said it, it was your fave. It's like, so I'm out on the court, I'm doing my ball, I get on the tip drill because I'm at the windowsill. Yo, baby, what up? Why don't you holler at me? Pass me the ball so I can shoot a three. <laughs> yeah, it, goes, it must be your face because it ain't your ass. I need a tip drill. Yeah, exactly. I, want I was a getting tip to that drill. point. Yeah. 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 That's a chorus. You got to respect the, you know, <laughs> It ramps up to it. When I, when, I, when I learn music, I learn the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't focus on the hook. Yeah, that's for, okay. That's for the that's for the like neophytes of music. Yeah, gotcha. what separates the true fans. <laughs> separates the true music dogs from the dogs. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Uh, the states with the longest life expectancy. I always like these types of lists because they're very subjective, right? Because you and, and they're very debatable. Because everybody's going to have a reason why that state would be a great place to live for the rest of your days. Florida has always been, right, the state that, you know, it's it's God's waiting room, as they say. You know, all the old people go to Florida because the weather is great. Your joints aren't creaking and aching like if you're up in Michigan. Uh, you know, your allergies aren't as bad. Actually, they are. I don't know why that is a saying, but your allergies are horrible in Florida. Um, but the weather's great. That's the main thing, right? The weather's great. And then, of course, you have the miracle water, which would be the salt water. Mm-hmm. More, the beach. More, yeah, the beach. More golf than anything else. Sunshine, there's truth to it. Science says vitamin D. Get it how good you, for you. It's good for you. Get it however you can get it. You know, Brandon chooses a different way than the rest of us. <laughs> Is there a point on this list, though, where it's, like, too late? Like, if I'm, like, 60 and it's, like, life expectancy 65, it's, like, well, you know, I can't I can't add a few years, right? Does it uh, bank on me living there for a while? If you're asking, I, I don't, I, if you're asking me, I would say yes, you can. As a scientist. Yeah, as a as a former scientist in my, my, my younger days. It, it doesn't, to me, I would say it doesn't matter what age you are, if you're, if you move to a state that's more inviting for health in your age, I, I really think it could add life to you. It could add a year, to, at least a year, you know, would anybody else agree with that? Uh, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Quality of life yeah. plays a big part. Sure. Absolutely. So yeah, I agree. Um, so this, uh, they ranked all 50 States. Nice RX is the web. Well, it's from the Hill, but the, the, the people that did it, they ranked all 50 States based on life expectancy health and genetics diet and exercise and luck uh, but where you all can, but where you live can play a role as well nice rx ranked all 50 states based on life expectancy uh and uh then it goes in to talk about the, the the good ones and the bad ones so we'll start with the good ones the one with the highest life expectancies you guys want to just start throwing out guesses montana <laughs> because of the movie or the show <laughs> No, my, I just feel like there's a lot less things to kill you out there, except for maybe buffalo. Now, have you ever seen those doyens going and taking pictures with the buffalo, trying to get a selfie so they can get likes, and they ended up getting <laughs> bum rushed? Uh, no, I, Montana I, is. I would say Montana. Oh no, Montana is neither on the ten states with the highest life expectancy or the lowest. South Carolina, highest life expectancy. No, it's actually on the lowest. Whoa. South Carolina's on the list. Yeah, you can't put butter on everything, South Carolina. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> when you, I would say Cal, I would say California, just because they they're very health conscious, 
out there, I feel like. So so maybe they would live longer because uh, they're more healthy than we are. Yes. Or everybody else. You are correct, Nate. California. And I would agree with the same reasons why. Not the number one, but top 10 states with the highest life expectancy. Hawaii. Hold on. I said her. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Sorry, Brandon said oh, something. First. Hawaii? Hawaii. Hawaii's number one. Yeah. Really? Yes. There we go. Yeah. Hawaii's Island life. Uh, Island life. Hawaii came in at number one with the longest life expectancy. You want to guess how many years? Uh, 86. 80.7. Wow. wow. Yeah, 80.7. So you got eight more to go. Mm. Other ones might kind of surprise you because you're running out of I'm kind of surprised at Hawaii, even though I know, yeah, obviously like the island life or and your outdoors and stuff. But I, I don't know what the percentage of the population is, but there's a lot of Samoans there, I feel like. And they typically are not the healthiest people. They're usually kind of larger and, you know, eating well. No, the that rock, makes sense. The Rock is going to live forever. He's Samoan, half Samoan. Yeah, but he's, he's not an average Samoan. Most of the Samoans are like in the... Um, 51st dates guy. That's the, the chef or the cook. Do you, do you <laughs> yeah. think Samoans in Hawaii only eat Samoan cookies from the Girl Scouts? That's where they make them. No way. <laughs> so it's like, like Santa's elves. It's just a bunch of Samoans <laughs> and they're baking cookies. <laughs> How'd you get that name? Well, take a look at this room. It's a bunch of guys with tribal tattoos <laughs> doing some really aggressive dance after they make a batch of cookies. Uh, I think Chicago will be on the list for a, a low life expectancy. Okay. Yeah. Well, a lot of people getting shot. Well, yeah. let's, let's first talk about Chicago not being a state. Well, okay. Illinois. I mean, Illinois. <laughs> okay. Uh, Illinois is n- not on the, either one of these lists. Oh, wow. I think the snow and the murder rate was... Yeah, I'm from Chicago. There. Trust me. It's uh, <laughs> There's a lot out there trying to kill us. He's only got like six years left. I'm before, <laughs> and I am wasting them. <laughs> Just missed this list by like this That's much. why I was asking earlier. Like, is it too late for me? Texas. Texas. You would think Texas would be... I would think it would be on the highest life expectancy. Yeah, me too. But it is not. It's it's not on either one of them. Oh, shit. Alaska. Even like Alaska. Alaska's not on either one. Maine? Maine. Uh, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. It's, 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 it's on the 10 states with the highest life expectancy. Massachusetts. It's, it's on there. Uh, I've never lived in Massachusetts, and I don't want to live in Massachusetts. <laughs> but uh, I know a lot of people that do live there, and they love it. They never want to leave it. It's crazy. Like yeah. a lot, a lot of those northern states, you know, up like on the Canadian border, almost people love living up there. Buffalo, mm-hmm. place like are you kidding me? There's no way I'm living there. Like you have to prepare not just for winter, you have to prepare to survive through winter. Like you might die. It's that bad. Um, yeah, I'm not interested. Sorry. All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was just thinking like. When, at least when I visited Boston, everybody's outside doing things. They're, uh, what is it? Harvard is there. They're all very intelligent. So they maybe are more health conscious and, and active, things like that. So you think these states with the highest life expectancy, you keep saying health conscious, that plays a huge part on the, the maybe education or, or, or the restaurants that are offered. I know California definitely with some of the lifestyles in, in certain cities are very health conscious. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, very bikeable, yeah, very like bikeable yeah. hiking, you know, those things offered. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like I feel like maybe the Midwest and like the Northern Midwest, 
it's it's cold for part of the year. You you tend to eat that like home cooked food a lot, and so maybe they aren't as healthy as maybe some of the other states. Like maybe you, um, uh, Washington because Seattle they're all kind of like crunchy hippies that eat okay. pretty healthy. I think Washington is on the list. So. I'm glad you said that because I was kind of getting to my point when this is all said and done. Don't forget your way of thinking on the the states and, and why they have a longer life expectancy. Then when it's all said and done, look at geographically where most are at on both lists and then go back to your theory. Washington, yes, on the 10 states with the highest life expectancy. What about Oregon? Oregon. Yes, on the list of the highest life expectancy. Vegas. Vegas is not a state. (laughs) Well, Nevada. Nevada. Nevada is not on either one of the lists. Arizona. Arizona is not on either one of these lists. Mississippi. Colorado. Mississippi came in dead last. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Life expectancy is what? (laughs) 16 years. <laughs> no. Right when you can get married. <laughs> no, no, that's when you have your second child. <laughs> 71.9 years of age. Oh. Nearly 10 years less than Hawaii. Mississippi. Mississippi. Wow. So you only have two on the 10 of the lowest life expectancies. Uh, Alabama. It's going to be down there. That's one other one. Very good. Louisiana, sit down there. Louisiana, there you go. <laughs> Very good. Georgia, <laughs> Georgia, not on either one of the lists. George, Georgia's an, ex- I think Georgia, not just because I live here, but Georgia's an exception to the rule. Georgia, you got a little, you got a little bit of that, and you got a little bit of this. Yeah, it's definitely extremes, right? There's not like a median, I bet. And it's and it's changing greatly, which irritates the, the natives immensely <laughs> you know it's it's becoming a little bit more a lot more progressive than what it ever has but that's just been the snowball effect since the 80s and 90s when atlanta became atlanta and companies like ibm and coca-cola and all these big companies came in and there was just this rush of jobs especially in the 90s for african americans mm. you know this was like the place to go um for a good paying you know, corporate job. Uh, I mean, we still lived in a country where, you know, we still live in a country where, but then more than ever, uh, at least at the time, you know, there's, there was, there's prejudice and Atlanta was kind of bucking the system. And I'm not just making that up or that's not my opinion. I've seen a documentary on that and they talk about it. I think it was actually the documentary on the, uh, there that, that had something to do with um, the, the, it was about the killer from the eighties. And they, they talked about the the growth spurt of Atlanta and how all these people were coming in and which made it more difficult to find certain people because you started to get a different class and so on and so forth. Anyway. Yeah, that's true. Um, all right. Any uh, more guesses here? Uh, New Mexico on the bottom. Well, let's just say New Mexico for conversation's sake. <laughs> and New Mexico is on. Oh, you mean on the bot the 10 low. Yeah. yeah yes. You're dying there. Yeah, you are correct. New Mexico's there. Very good. Where's Virginia. Uh, it's up uh, in the northeast. Of no, America. I'm saying far as the list. <laughs> it's, uh, slightly to the east of West Virginia. <laughs> so Virginia on yeah. there. East of West Virginia. Uh, Virginia is not on either one of these lists. What about West Virginia? West Virginia. Do you want to take a guess which one it's on? The bottom. Of course it's lower. <laughs> if you've the never been. have eyes going to get you out. Yeah, it's you, almost heaven. If you've never what? been to West Virginia, it's beautiful country. Don't get me wrong. But. 
it is a different breed of people. I mean, <laughs> like, like there's this invisible border around the entire state and they just keep them all in. <laughs> they don't let them get out. You don't, you don't see the guy from West Virginia living in, you know, Florida. <laughs> you don't, yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't wander off to New York or anything like that. They stay there. They're quarantined. They're, they're quarantined. It's <laughs> like if they step outside the state, they have this imaginary Dog car, shock collar, <laughs> zaps him. Actually, I met a, an older gentleman the other day who now lives in Tampa, uh, but he's from California, and and I didn't get into why he moved around uh, throughout his life. I'm assuming because of because of work, but he said he moved from California to West Virginia. Just saying that out loud sounds weird. It's like I traded in my Lexus for a Pinto. You know, it, it's just so weird. I said, I'll "Go why?" He goes, "I was." Young, that's what my parents did for work. I was like, that must have been a culture shock. He goes, oh, you have no idea. Heard the life expectancy <laughs> was shorter needed to get out there. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, I'll finish these up. Uh, oh, I have one more guess. One more guess. Was it, uh, the, the Utah, where all the Mormons are. Utah, highest live? life expectancy. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. It's very healthy to have numerous wives. Huh. Yeah. And Polly no, Amory, and no alcohol. And no alcohol. No, that's, it's got to be the wives grow thing. your own food. And grow your own food. Yeah, I really think it's the but you got three thing. people bitching at you now? No, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Minnesota's on the list of highest life expectancy, New Hampshire, Vermont, and Connecticut. Oh. That Minnesota surprises me. It's That's that's the one that says New Hampshire does not. Vermont does not. Utah does not. Washington, the rest of them don't. I agree. Minnesota, because you think of just fat spawn of Vikings. You know, kind of yeah. people. <laughs> well, and it, it's free. I mean, it gets cold in most places, but it's freezing there. So a, a good portion of the year, you can't do anything. So you just sit inside and eat. Uh, it's the 10 lowest. You had Mississippi, West Virginia, Louisiana, Alabama, South Carolina, New Mexico. The ones that you missed were Brandon. How did you miss this one? Uh, yeah, Kentucky. There you go. Oh, Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> Kentucky. Yeah. That's why I was family. Well, I'm my own grandpa state. Tennessee, <laughs> Arkansas, Oklahoma. That rounds it out. All the southern states. Exactly. How horrible. For the most part. You know, you look at the south. So do you go back to Nate's theory as a lower life expectancy and say people in the south eat like southerners? You know, each into their own, right? Southern home cooking is a way of cooking. It's a way of life. But it sure the hell ain't healthy for you. <laughs> <laughs> I think we do a lot more dumb stuff, too. Like what? Uh, you know, you always see people like swinging off a rope into a canyon and they miss the water and hit a rock. Yeah, I mean, those types of things I think happen. Everywhere. I mean, are you saying people in southern states are dumber than probably other states? I, I, I don't want to say the word dumber. I don't offend anybody, but I would say less educated. Yes. I'm offended. No, I, I think what Brandon's saying is like you might see a YouTube video of a guy who hooked a lawnmower up to like a jet engine or something. That's not happening yeah. in, you know, New Hampshire. Yeah. <laughs> it's happening in like Mississippi. The phrase do it for Dale does not really get out to California. Yeah. <laughs> the difference between men and women also widened now. Now, men in America have an average life expectancy of 73 years, 73 and a half years, while women can expect to live until the age of 79.3 years. So, wow. chicks are staying around. Ladies, I gotta stop saying the word. Ladies are staying around. Has that always been true, though? It has been. I think mm. the, the guy rate is coming up because men are realizing 
that they're, I think men are, t- women have kind of, I think, more taken their health more seriously than men over the years. And I think now, now men are starting to understand that your health needs to be taken seriously, especially if you go back, you know, let's say 15, 20 years ago, where it was still the woman was staying at home for the most part, not all the time, but for the most part, and men were at work there's a higher stress level. I'm not saying that being an at-home mom and stuff is not stressful, but it's a different type of stress level because you're going to work knowing that you have to bring money home to your family. Without money, you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. So I, I think stress plays a huge part in that. Uh, I mean, you hear stories all the time, even people that are millionaires killing themselves because they lost all their money in the stock market or whatever the case may be. They're not like, well, you can get it back, dude. You're just going to have to change your lifestyle. The hell they I don't am, know how. The hell I am getting rid of my yacht. That's not happening. I'm just going to shoot. There was a guy, a young guy in New York not that long ago that launched himself off a high rise because he got fired or lost his business or something. He was a multi-gazillionaire. He had, you know, beautiful wife, beautiful kids, everything. And I think they're probably like, well, my life insurance policy says, you know, I can still kill myself and they get all my money. I just need to get out of here because I can't deal with this. That's crazy. You know, so stress plays a huge part in it, I think. Um, that's why these beachy type of places like California, Hawaii, uh, even Washington State, which is a beautiful country. I mean, it gets cold and it rains a lot. Yeah, but still, it's beautiful up there. It's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, when Scenic? Outdoorsy? No. Serene. Serene. That's, thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. It's serene. Mm. Washington State is is serene. So, uh, yeah. I'm, re- I'm reading that the, uh, the gap between men and women has actually increased in the last 10 years. In 2010, uh, women lived 4.8 years longer, and in 2021, it's widened to 5.9 years now. They live longer than guys? Yeah. Yeah, but what is the life expectancy of men? Has it increased over the years? Um, let me look. Actually, well, maybe over the years, but all of our life expectancies have decreased due to COVID because it's killed off all of our older people. Wow. And uh, and so now the average is lower. <sighs> Thanks, COVID. Yeah, this game is not fun anymore. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Way to bring the facts into this and bring it all down. <laughs> that COVID's a real downer. I don't know about you guys. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> you, bu- you bummer face. You know, that's if you believe in it. There's still people that don't believe in the COVID. It still didn't exist, which we'll get into the bonus content because I think I'm about over hearing about this. I thought we were past this vaccine conversation. <laughs> Jesus, it's driving me insane. Uh, So there you go. If you're looking for a place to live longer, Hawaii, Washington, Minnesota, California, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Oregon, Vermont, Utah, Connecticut. Any of those states you guys would want to live in? Uh, Maybe Hawaii for a little while, but I heard people go crazy there after living on an island for a long time. Really? I never heard that before. Cost of living is super high. In Hawaii? Yes. You've been there? It's very expensive to live there. You've been there? No, I haven't been there. I just have a lot of friends that were stationed there. Oh, Pearl Harbor. Yep. Yeah. So and they're just like food everywhere. They just pick it off the trees and pick a chicken up off the side of the road if you need one. Well, just because you live on the island, I mean, it's 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 still they the year twenty twenty three. You can Brandy. live like a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> you just you think every meal island? is just like a pig on a spit. Like <laughs> Brandon shows up, Brandon shows up off the plane with a suitcase and a stick with a red flag, looking to claim land. <laughs> <laughs> if Dog the Bounty Hunter has taught me anything, there's a lot of math. Jeez. Anybody know where I can buy a horse? 
it's like a functioning place. You know that, right? I know. It's just so hard to imagine, though, that it, that it runs like that on an island. Uh, I mean, if I lived there, I'd just want to live off the land. I think that's the whole point of living there. They aren't stranded there, you know. <laughs> I know they got boats and planes. Yeah, it's not like Jesus. Lost or Survivor or something. Yeah, I'm sorry. He doesn't step off the plane. He's trying to figure out how to get there. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I'd want to live in Hawaii. Uh, definitely could do California. I could do Oregon, I think. I've always wanted to live in Washington. Washington State? Yes, Seattle. Oh, no. I don't big, know if I could do that. Big Frazier fan. I don't know if I could do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as far as the ones in the South, South Carolina is beautiful. It's really a beautiful state. Yeah, it that's is. what I was thinking it would be. And they don't have, like, a, they got some cities, but it's not like, a, they say drama-free, you know? Like Charleston. Charleston's a great city. Yeah. You know, right by the water, a big oyster fest, and um, spent a lot of time in South Carolina my first two years in college, because Wingate was right on the border of North and South Carolina. I was never a big North Carolina fan. Didn't like the state. But I'd go to South Carolina often because my roommate, he a lot, a lot of the guys there were from South Carolina. A lot of guys there from Rock Hill, South Carolina. And these little small, you know, Carolina cities, you go there and it's home cooking, you know, it's breakfast. I think this is Georgia too. It's breakfast, dinner, and supper. There's no lunch. It's breakfast, dinner, and supper. But you had butter and everything, biscuits. I mean, it was carb central, sugar. Iced tea was delicious, but you would literally see the person taking a giant bag of sugar just and put it in there. So the, I, I think Nate has something when he says about the, the eating habits. I think there's a lot to that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, uh, Georgia is 37 on the list. I'm looking now. Oh, okay. 37. So it's uh, not great. Not in the middle. More towards it. But it's part of the South. Uh, the, the, if, you mm-hmm. li- if you live in the South, you're going to die. You're going to get fat. You're going to have heart disease. You're going to die. Because you eat like, and the other thing is you're not educated, right? You're saying that if you're not eating well, then it's almost like, your fault, but not your fault, because that's how you were brought up. Uh, especially if you're a Gen Xer, because we were brought up, you, you you don't leave the table unless you eat everything on your plate. And you had no choices of what you wanted to eat either. Whatever your mom cooked, that's what you read. Thanks, boomers. That's the stupidest thing you could ever possibly do to your child. <laughs> Force yeah. them to get well, fat. Thank you, mom. And we were also brought up to believe in the, the food pyramid, where you, you, need, you need like seven or eight servings of bread and, and greens and stuff every day yeah. where we're just loading ourselves with carbs. It's cool. This garlic bread's good for me according to a pyramid. <laughs> and, and you know what? It's it's so silly is I still believe that up until the year 2008, I guess. Like maybe even after that. Like you would think by that time, you know, especially a guy like myself that's been working out most of his life, that you would be fairly educated on nutrition. I still had the mindset that you needed to have three squares a day and have everything on there. And what I would do when when I got heavy and didn't realize I got heavy with my first marriage is that, you know, I was, I was done work because I was doing morning radio. And my wife at the time, we had owned that women's boutique. So she was there. And then she would get home like five or six o'clock and I enjoyed making dinner. So I would make dinner usually just about every night. And when I made dinner, I made dinner. I mean, it was a full steak. It was a side of potatoes. It was a side of green beans. It was a piece of toast. I mean, it was a salad. 
I mean, it was a full, <laughs> and this is how we ate every night. <laughs> and both of us ballooned up, and Jeez. we just didn't see it. We just didn't realize it because I'm eating so poorly uh, because that's what I thought. You know, especially when you play, well, in my case, playing football, you tried to put on weight. So, like, when I was in high school, you, I wasn't necessarily taking in the best calories, but I had a, my mom would make me a milkshake every morning that had probably 10,000 calories in it. You know, there was, there's weight gain. She'd put scoops of weight gain in ice cream and whole milk. Uh, and, and, and it was so, it was so many calories that it was tough to even swallow. But I was like, oh, I got to take this. I got to put on weight. Oh, I was going to say, why, why was she making you that? To put on weight, because especially during season, you know, you're losing so much weight. Oh. And you want to stay big. But, uh, yeah, like, I wish I could have at least just one of I think before I die, that's going to be me my bucket list. You know, that driving across country is on my bucket list. I want to have one of those milkshakes before I die. I was about to say, you want to have your mom make you a milkshake? Your last meal. (laughs) You better get her to do it the next time you see her. Yeah, that will be my last meal. Like, especially if I go on death row, they're going to ask me, I'm going to say, can you have my mother make me a high calorie milkshake for my last meal? (laughs) You're going to see in the paper, serial killer, Jason Bailey's last request for a meal is a high calorie milkshake from his mother. (laughs) It says here the life expectancy of Florida just dipped down a little bit. The the, the news crews are going to be at my mother's house as she's making this milkshake and just pouring scoops of this calorie, uh, what was it, weight gain. Did you ever take weight gain, Nate? You probably did, right? Uh, no, I never did because I was a wrestler, so you didn't want to gain weight. You were dropping. Well, you were always wanting to drop uh, but, weight. Uh, but I know guys that, that played football that did. Yeah, yeah, yeah all exactly. The time. All the time, all the time. All right. So those are the places you want to live if you want to live. Right. If you want to leave. That's if I if I were the governor of any of these states, when you come into the state and say, welcome to Washington, governor, whatever, the state to live in, like in capitals, capital live. Or welcome to Washington, life expectancy, 90. Yeah, population this, life expectancy <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, that's what I'd say. <laughs> Get busy living or get busy dying. Get busy, get busy moving is what you need to do. All right, uh, let's uh, let's talk to our guest, shall we? Hold up, wait a minute. Let's hear from our sponsors. Winter is here, and we know what that means. Rodents are looking for a nice, comfy place to call their home. Nothing better than a nice, warm attic or crawl space, possibly yours. Do you know that rodents can cause thousands of dollars in repairs, or even worse? Squirrels are the number one issue with house fires in the attic due to them constantly chewing on the wires, not to mention the diseases that they carry. Well, not on Inspect All Pest Services Watch. They do full or partial exclusions to help get rid and prevent rodents from invading your home. Whether it's squirrels, rats, opossums, or bats, they got you covered. Fully licensed and insured, Inspect All Pest Services is a company you can trust to take care of all your rodent needs inspectallservices.com make sure you mention the bs and receive 10 percent off your exclusion work year-round exclusions one year of rodent trapping included with annual renewal rodent letters trap set and attics and crawl spaces free inspections inspectallpestservices.com doing a little remodeling in the new year possibly go to uci kitchen and bath they've been atlanta's number one cabinet granite and quartz fabricator and installer for the past 20 years By the way, if you go in or when you go in, make sure you ask if Tony's around. 
Tony's awesome. You got to meet Tony. Fair prices, quality of work, and excellent service apart uh, from their competitors and their industry. You can visit the Norcross uh, showroom location and let their design team just totally transform your kitchen and bathroom into this beautiful and functional environment to fit you know your personality right it's a one-stop shop at uci kitchen and bath they provide installation on whatever you buy mention the bs you get 10 percent off regularly priced countertops ucigranite.com ucigranite.com i want you to get the latest coolest hippest trends in your house plus you get to improve your property value ucigranite.com and back to you jason some would make the argument the beatles are the best rock band of all time i would make the arguments on top of that is that they're definitely one of the most influential rock bands of all time. There's no doubt about that. You can't fight me on it. It's just, it's impossible. Uh, Our guest right now has a uh, new book, The McCartney Legacy, Volume 1, which is in stores now. Uh, Alan Cozen is a music critic, culture reporter for the New York Times. You did that. You contribute regularly to the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, You've written numerous books. You've taught courses at Juilliard. You've done it all, Alan. Uh, but it's it all comes back to the Beatles and Paul McCartney, right? <laughs> it sure does, yeah. I've done it all, but I hadn't written a book about Paul McCartney until now uh, with my co-author, Adrian Sinclair. So and, uh, there has to be a defining moment in everyone's life. You know, I always say music is the soundtrack of our lives. You know, I've been in the radio business almost 30 years, and I've got to meet some of my heroes and, uh, and, and it's, it's cool. You know, they're kind of like the modern day Greek gods in a way. I, I heard somebody say that one time and I agreed, but for you, what was that defining moment in your life where you said, I'm a Beatles fan forever? I suppose like an awful lot of people in this country, it was February 9th, 1964, when they appeared on the Ed Sullivan show. And, uh, you know, we'd heard some of the stuff on the radio before then, and it sounded, you know, kind of new and fresh and vibrant. And But seeing them perform, you know, that was, yeah, that made a big difference. What was it that they did on the Ed Sullivan show? Because, you know, like when I talked to my mom about the Beatles, you know, she would uh, talk about the invasion, of course, the infamous coming off the plane and all that stuff. And uh, as a female, you know, she's like, they were different. They were cute. They were rock stars. They all dressed the same. You know, from a guy's perspective, it's going to be a little bit different. But when you're watching that Ed Sullivan show and the Beatles are performing, was it is, was it a John? Was it a Paul? Was it a George? Was it a Ringo? Was there something specific that you just said, this is the band? These are the guys. I think it was the whole group, you know, um, it, it was it was a very tight performance. I mean, you know, you, you look in some Beatles books and they'll say, uh, you, you know, you couldn't hear the Beatles because everyone was screaming. But you've seen the clips of the Ed Sullivan sure. show. You can hear everything. And those were really good performances. There was a sense of camaraderie between them all. Uh, they each knew how to handle themselves you know, in front of the camera, which, you know, as a, a nine year old as I was at the time, I didn't really think in those terms but now i've watched those clips eight gazillion times like everybody else so um you know it's 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 really a a, an incredible performance and a, a great introduction to the beatles as a band 
So what's your relationship with Paul McCartney and uh, with this book, again, The McCartney Legacy, and this is volume one, which is out now. Did you, throughout these years, doing what you've done for all these major publications and, and writing articles, do you develop a friendship with uh, with Sir Paul? I wouldn't say a friendship. I, I interviewed him a number of times for the New York Times. Um, and as, you know, as I, I talk about a bit in the introduction to this book, there's Paul is probably the most professional interviewee of anyone I've ever interviewed. He, you walk into the room and sit down and he knows that first of all, you're going to be nervous because he's, let's face it, a legend and he knows it. Um, but he makes you feel as if you are old pals and he has nothing else that he'd rather do than talk to you. And you know that that's not true, but he has a great way of making you feel that. And he, you know, he answers your questions you know, pretty directly. If you, if you ask him questions, he hasn't, that hasn't been, you know, gone over 10 million times. And I think he appreciates being asked something new and, and having listened to even before getting involved with this book, having listened to, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of Paul interviews over the years. I knew what his set pieces were. I knew, I, and, and so I was determined when I've interviewed him to not allow him to tell the story about how he dreamed yesterday or how he became vegetarian after seeing the gambling lambs out on his pasture, um, you know, really asking him other stuff. Um, and so, you know, I got a bunch of pretty good interviews. He, he didn't want to cooperate for this book because he doesn't, you know, he's talking to journalists he'd rather not be involved with biographers but we had you know quite a number of people that we wanted to talk to who said well you know is paul involved in this and we said no not really and so they went to paul and said do you mind if we talk to these guys and in every case he said yeah sure fine you know talk to them so we we appreciate that you know even if he didn't want to cooperate directly in the book he absolutely didn't interfere so that was great was there uh was there ever something that he said hey look alan i don't want to answer that i don't want to go there uh, not in any of the interviews I did. Uh, he always seems completely engaged. And in fact, I, I've, you know, in all the interviews in our archive, which now number in the thousands, I don't remember running into any questions that he decided he or, or said overtly that he wouldn't answer. Uh, you know, like all interviewees, he can sometimes sort of take the question and sort of, you know, glide into some other topic. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure you've, you've experienced that yourself. Oh, sure. But, yeah. but uh, you know, he, he hasn't refused to answer anything. And, uh, you know, it's pretty straightforward. It, it's, it's refreshing. It's cool because I'm, I'm a fan, right? So uh, that's why I was very excited to have you on because I get to live vicariously through you. I had a, at a, at a very small window of possibly meeting Paul McCartney in the real world at one time, because both Nate and I uh, lived many years in Orlando and his, I believe still current wife, his stepson graduated from Rollins college, which is in winter park. Right. right? That's right. And uh, downtown winter park, there's, you know, a bunch of little bars and whatnot. And I remember that kind of became my new hang, not because of him, but just because of life. And mm -hmm. word gets back to me when I'm four bars down that Paul McCartney is up on this, you know, very small stage with one of the Almond Brothers in a bar playing. 
And I'm right. like, I'm like, we got to go. <laughs> we got to mm-hmm. go. And by the time we got there, it was, you know, it wasn't there. But uh, you would hear this sto- video of that out on the Internet. I'm sure you've run into it. This was kind of pre-internet days, though. I mean, this was going oh, back. This was, yeah. I mean, not pre-internet days, but pre-posting everything, everybody's phone. I mean, this was still, Nate, what if this would have been like 2009, 2008-ish? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know. There is um, a video. Of, he, he played at um, his stepson's uh, graduation party. He played I Saw Her Standing There. <laughs> and uh, and there is video of that out on the, on the web. You yeah. can search for it. But it's refreshing to know that he knows who he is. You know, like like you were saying before, you know, I've interviewed a, a bunch of these types of people, and sometimes they're overly humble, which makes the conversation awkward. Not that you, right. you know, have to put them over or kiss their ass or so on and so forth, but just know who you are and, right. and, and, and know that the person talking to you is, like you said, even somebody with your reputation, your resume, and your accolades, you're going to be a little bit nervous. It's Sir Paul McCartney, for God's sake. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, in the in the course of the period that we cover in the book, um, he knew who he was. I mean, he'd been through the entire Beatles experience, and yet the Beatles had imploded, and he had to recreate his career. You know, it was as if he was, uh, you think of, you know, Muhammad Ali uh, giving up his prize belt and going back to the gym where he grew up and starting to train again with all the local kids there and sort of reconstitute his his boxing career. In, in a way, that's what Paul had to do. And uh, it, it, it wasn't easy. I mean, if you uh, when you read the book, you'll see that at the very beginning of the book, he's really seriously depressed. He's, uh, you know, up in Scotland drinking way too much, not wanting to get out of bed, not shaving. And his his wife, Linda, really had to sort of coax him back to life. And uh, so we have this period, you know, 1969 to 73 in volume one, that is really a dramatic period for him recreating himself. You know, it was we we take for granted now Paul McCartney is Paul McCartney. And, and he was obviously Paul McCartney back then. And, uh, you know, Beatles, Idol, all that stuff. But as a solo guy, you know, it was all new. And he had to sort of work really hard to get the success that he deserved. And it took the whole period of this book, which ends with the release of Band on the Run, you know, which was a triumph. But the albums before it took a lot of criticism. A lot of them went to the top of the charts. People liked them, but it was sort of difficult for him in, in the press to get the accolades he needed wanted yeah did you alan Alan, have you ever asked paul mccartney the what if question like what if john would have not been assassinated what would have happened to the beatles i never asked him that no um I, i like everyone else i sort of wonder you know would they have ever come together to record something in the studio or possibly played a concert but everything that they said in all the time after the Beatles, uh, kind of militated against that in a way. You know, they came together to uh, e- each of them played on Ringo's 
Ringo album, basically his third album. Uh, Paul contributed a song and played on it. Uh, he and Linda sang on it. Uh, John and George wrote songs for him. So in a way, that album has all four of them on. But um, you know, I, I, I but I would I, I didn't ask him. It's it's one of those sort of what if questions that you know when you have an interview with Paul, you also have a very limited time. You know, mm -hmm. maybe when I've interviewed him, it's been an hour. Or these days, his interviews seem to be anywhere you know a lot of them are 20 minutes so you know it's hard to sort of get into a theoretical thing like that how does one get on the list to interview paul mccartney <laughs> sign me up yeah, well, you know, writing for the New York Times opens a lot of doors, I have sure. to admit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that basically did it. And, uh, you know, interviewed him a bunch of times. I also went, you know, I went to England and reviewed the premiere of the Liverpool Oratorio because at the Times I was mostly a classical critic. Also their Beatles desk because the pop guys were, you know, happy to sort of give me that. Mm. Um, but I, I reviewed the Liverpool Oratorio and where most of the world's classical music critics were a little bit snide about it. Uh, I was open to what he was trying to do. And uh, at one press conference in New York, he asked me to come around to sort of see him backstage after the press conference. He sent one of the Carnegie Hall uh, you know, press people to get me. Wow. And he said, basically, you know, I just wanted to thank you for giving it a chance, which was very cool, you know, <laughs> have Paul McCartney send for you and, and, and say that. So... Uh, yeah, you know, that I guess that's how you get the doors opened as well, but by then I'd interviewed him a few times. Did the first meeting with Paul McCartney, did you uh, ask to get a picture? No, but I did ask him for an autograph. Did he give it to I you? I had him sign the uh, the Russian album, which at the time was pretty rare. It hadn't come out on CD yet. Um, you know, and being the kind of collector I am, uh, you know, I also need a mint copy of things. So having had him <laughs> sign that one, I then had to go get another, you know, which at the, the time they were pretty rare. So uh, so that, that was as, as far as um, he did actually when. Uh, OK, he has a picture of me and him, but I don't have it. Wow, that? really? Um, yeah, after he uh, thanked me about the oratory review, um, that was on the front page of the national edition of the Times, and you can get a plating of a front page piece. Usually you just get it for your first front page piece, but I wanted a plating of this one because it was a Beatles front page, and uh, and so I, I, I really made a, a pain in the butt of myself with my editors calling from England, making sure I got a plating, so I ended up with two. So I told him, you know, uh, this was on the front page of the national edition. Uh, it got bumped off the front page of the New York edition, but I've got a spare plating of that if you want it. So he said, yeah, I'd like that. So I brought it to him the next day at his hotel, and he had a photo taken of me and him in the plating. And it was a bit weird because, you know, plating, it's not like it's a gold album. This is a review. It's a serious review. And I wasn't just sort of, uh, you know, chilling for him. I seriously was reviewing that piece. So I, it seemed a little odd to have him in the plating and me. Uh, and but he never sent me a copy. And uh, once my my wife looked for it, it actually called his manager to try to get it for an anniversary present or something for me. And um, and they said they couldn't find it. But who knows? It's in his archive somewhere. His his current wife. It's just the one that I was talking about with the stepson, right? That's Nancy. He's, yeah, he's still married. These are all normal 
people, meaning they're not celebrities, like even his first wife, right? In, in, in the, right. Which, she, uh, the, what Lindsay, is it? His first wife, um, who was like all through the, the book, actually, uh, was a photographer, and she was a rock photographer before she met Paul. Um, pictures that she took her in the very first issue of Rolling Stone, um, and all through Rolling Stone in that early period. And she, she photographed for a lot of rock magazines, really did all the big groups uh, before she met Paul. So she had that career uh, largely, I, I can't say really gave it up because once she met Paul, there's a lot of pictures she took of the Beatles, very classic pictures. Um, and, uh, but, you know, and then she joined Wings. I mean, she wasn't really a rock star. She wasn't a musician, but Paul wanted her with him on stage. Mm. She took an awful lot of criticism because she wasn't really a, a keyboard player, which was her job in the band. <laughs> but, you know, if you listen to the albums, you listen to Ram, uh, particularly, uh, or the single Another Day, uh, and also, you know, Wildlife, all through, you hear... Linda's vocal harmonies, which are absolutely crucial to those songs. They're really a big part of the wing sound. So a lot of the criticism she took really was kind of unfair. And he was married, what, three times? Because didn't, was he married to a woman with one leg and she drowned yes, or something? Heather. Heather Mills, right? Heather, Heather Mills, right. Yes, yeah. that, that, uh, that marriage didn't last very long, but, um, only a few years. And then he, uh, then he married again, uh, Nancy. Yeah, I, I, the point of me bringing this up is, is he, he finds normal non-celebrity type women. Like, how does does he see them and just go over and say, "Hi, I'm Paul. I'd like to 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 buy you a drink." I mean, that that's what I'm getting at because I mean, there's celebrities and then there's Paul McCartney, and if you're a woman and you get hit on by Paul McCartney no is not an option. <laughs> it's just not. Oh, I suppose it might be. Um, yeah. We actually interviewed someone, uh, was it, was it uh, either Paul, it's told me that either Paul or John sort of, you know, pinched her bottom on the way out of a, a, a bar one day. And uh, she didn't, um, didn't, allow that to be pursued but um yeah you know paul is a guy who doesn't need a wingman so um <laughs> you know certainly i've never been in that position for him uh i i guess it must be pretty easy for him if um you know he is paul mccartney and uh was all through the beatles period one of the most the most eligible bachelor on the planet yeah. uh so yeah yeah god yeah. can you imagine back in the day being we're not even back in the... I mean, he's a bigger deal now today than he was then with the Beatles, I think. I mean, just because he's an icon. He's a legend. Um, sure. You know, can you imagine being, if he were single, being Paul McCartney's wingman, even at his age? I would do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> I'd, I'd make it a full-time job. It'd be phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, well, you know, the roadies, in a way, fulfilled that function during the Beatles years. Sure. The roadies would sort of, you know, pick out the girls. Yeah. Kind, and, uh, kind, of, kind of a lost art form now, these days. Right, uh, yeah. So, w in your professional opinion, and because you do have this relationship uh, with Paul McCartney, and you've interviewed him so many times, why do you think that Paul was able to have so much success as a single artist um, more than George, more definitely more than Ringo, right? Um, and then, you know, John's life was cut too short, but Paul has been able to st stand the test of time. Well, you know, first of all, you've got a championship-level melody composer, um, someone who's 
imagination is incredibly fertile and who's able to turn almost anything that he runs into, whether it's in, you know, something he reads in a newspaper article or something that happens or a story he heard, uh, somehow can be transformed into a song. And we show that a lot in this book. You know, a good example is uh, as the Beatles were breaking up and trying to sort of figure out how to, uh, you know, break the partnership up after Paul basically had to sue to have that happen, went to a business meeting and George Harrison was there and George said, you know, we're, we're all prisoners one way or another. And Paul, on his way home from that meeting, wrote the beginning of Band on the Run, which is all about prisoners escaping, you know, wow. stuck inside these four walls, you know. Uh, and uh, and then the second part, the, the Band on the Run part of the song goes back to the very first Wings tour in 1972 when they were stopping at universities and asking, you know, mind if Paul McCartney plays a concert here? You know, can you imagine being in the university's events committee and, and the roadies walk in and say, we've got Paul just outside. Uh, but they found themselves in a hotel situation where the manager was kind of being nasty and Paul sort of accidentally on purpose bopped him in the nose. And uh, before the police got there, the band just, you know, split and ran. They were literally a band on the run. So you've got, you know, you've got that feeding into the song. So you've got this 1973 song that's part 1973 business meeting, part story of Wings escaping the wrath of a hotel manager. You know, not everybody can turn everything that happens into a song if they want to. You know, Paul can, Paul can write a beautiful melody on a, a second's notice. There's another story in the book. He's visiting Dustin Hoffman. And Dustin Hoffman says, you know, so how do you write a song? And Paul says, well, you know, they, they come to me, what inspiration, whatever. And he hands him a copy of Time magazine that says, you know, Picasso just died. And there's this interesting thing where he said, uh, you know, drink to me. I can't drink anymore, but, uh, you know, drink, drink to my health. And suddenly Paul sits down, picks up a guitar, sits down and writes Picasso's last words, which is on the band on the run album. And Dustin Hoffman is sitting there with his wife saying he's doing it he's doing it it's coming out <laughs> so you know I, that's probably why paul is so successful you know he he can do these things on a moment's notice writing a song and it will be a better song than 98 percent of people could you know possibly do including serious musicians so you know that's uh, that's an incredible talent and uh and that's really uh, in a way the secret of his success i guess I, I, I really love hearing uh, artists when they talk about uh, artists they admire and they're kind of like a fan. And there was a, I think, a fairly recent interview with Dave Grohl, the Foo Fighters. It might have been on Howard Stern's show. Um, and he t tells a Paul McCartney story where he was at a party and they were playing the piano, I think, together or something. And the whole time in his head, he's going, oh, my God. I'm playing the piano, you know, and this is Dave Grohl, which is, by the way, one of the most humble guys you could ever possibly meet. He's just a sweetheart of, of, of a dude. But for for a guy of that caliber to talk about Paul McCartney like he just had five minutes alone with Santa Claus, it was, it's pretty neat to hear. I can tell you a better one. Yeah, please. 
a singer named Jerry Hadley is an, was an opera singer, uh, and he sang in Paul's Liverpool Oratorio. This will be in uh, probably volume four when we get there. Um, and he went to rehearse with Paul, you know, the parts that he was singing for the Liverpool Oratorio at Paul's place in Sussex. And Jerry had actually, as a kid, been in a rock band. And Paul said, oh, yeah, you know, well, here, take a guitar. Let's do a Heartbreak Hotel. And Paul took this big stand-up bass that he has that was owned by Bill Black, who was Elvis's bassist. The acquisition of that bass, by the way, will be in volume two. <laughs> um and he plays and Jerry plays guitar and sings. And at the end of the performance, he says, I can't believe I've just sang Heartbreak Hotel with Paul McCartney playing Bill Black's bass. And Paul said, that's nothing. You just played it on Elvis's guitar. Oh, <laughs> that's a phenomenal story. <laughs> it is a good one, isn't it? That's great. That's so good. Is Is there any... I mean, I guess there would have to be. I love asking artists this question. Is there any recordings that they have that's in the vault, collaborations with other people of name that maybe won't see the light of day? Does Does Paul have any of that? I have a feeling that most things he's pretty much everything he's done with people of name, as you say, is, is, has come out. Um, but, you know, what there are are things like the uh, the legendary demo for Band on the Run. Um, the story is every, you know, the whole Band on the Run album, actually. Uh, the story is that when he was in Lagos, he was mugged, which is true. And the muggers took, you know, his, uh, you know, his whole pack of stuff, which included, you know, money, cameras. Linda's cameras and his demo tapes for Band on the Run. But those were cassette copies. And the original demos were recorded on four track um, up at Scotland in his farm. So those probably still exist and you never hear anything about them. And they've never been included on any of Paul's Band on the Run reissues. So, you know, those are tapes that everybody's dying to hear. And most people think don't any longer exist because they think the demos were stolen. Mm. But what was stolen was copies, cassette copies. The originals are still there. That, for me, is sort of up in the Holy Grail uh, area. Does he ever have an issue talking about his old bandmates and the Beatles, like John and... And any issues that they might have had, uh, George, Ringo, or does he just kind of want to move forward uh, with all these types of conversations? He doesn't have issues about it anymore. He talks about it pretty frequently. But in the period we cover in in, in our in volume one, um, he found it actually kind of irritating to constantly be asked about the Beatles. I mean, they were all still alive from 1969 to 1973. So it was hard for him to do an interview without people asking if they were going to get back together. And, and he did get very irritated with that. Um, but also his attitude changed in the course of the period we cover in the book because his big issue with the other Beatles was the manager that they hired against his his will, in a way, uh, Alan Klein. But in 1973, they decided not to renew with Klein. And so when people began asking if the Beatles would do anything together, he became a little less definite about how it would never happen. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's kind of interesting to trace the how that changes in, over the course of the period we cover. Didn't he just die, Alan Klein, just recently? 
Not too recently. He he died uh, some time ago. Oh, did he? Yeah, oh. I can't remember the year offhand, but yeah. in, in your in your in this book in the volume one, um, I read that you talk about the unexpected influence of Pink Floyd on <laughs> McCartney's musical output, as it's written. Uh, but Pink Floyd was well after, obviously, the Beatles, uh, right? Yeah. Well, after the, maybe a bit after the Beatles, although they started in like 67. So, you know, it's uh, not too far after. Uh, there was uh, was overlap, but there was certainly also overlap with Paul's solo career. And at the same time, he was working on, uh, I think, uh, Red Rose Speedway. Uh, they were working on Dark Side of the Moon. And... And Dark Side of the Moon, you, you may remember there's a, a section where there are just sort of random quotes from people actually scattered through the album. And what they did is they they wanted people, they invited people to come in and answer a bunch of questions that they had written on cards and put on a music stand. Uh, and they had Paul, they had his guitarist, Henry McCulloch. Uh, they had the doorman from Abbey Road Studios. You know, all kinds of people came in and read these que- read the questions to themselves and recorded an answer. And uh, one of the questions was, you know, when was the last time you had a fight, and were you right? Uh, Paul and Linda went in, and, and they were sort of trying to be funny or, you know, clever about it. And that isn't what Pink, Pink Floyd was looking for. They just wanted straight answers. But Henry McCulloch, Paul's guitar, lead guitarist, remembered, you know, the last time they had a fight was actually at Paul McCartney's father's house over New Year's. They were out in the street in Liverpool fighting. Uh, and, you know, Paul's on the phone to Wing's drummer saying, hey, Henry and, and his wife are out there, you know out in the street yelling at each other what am I going to do you know um and and so Henry talked about that and that's on Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon but also you we, we were running into things like uh uh, you know, Pink Floyd had done a big concert in an outdoor amphitheater. And Paul's 1972 European tour begins in an outdoor amphitheater. And he, he paid very close attention to what Pink Floyd were doing. You know, I'm not saying that he was out there copying them, but he liked them. He liked their work. And if they did something that he thought was a, a good idea, he'd find a way to do it in his own way, in his own, you know, style it wouldn't be wouldn't necessarily even be linked with what pink floyd was doing but there would be a connection that uh, that we as both as big pink floyd fans too also sort of noted while we were writing the book that's interesting two totally different styles you know, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know, I think Pink Floyd uh, in its early, very psychedelic days was a little influenced by the Beatles and what they were doing, you know, around the Pepper period and beyond and uh, uh, Revolver, you know, Tomorrow Never Knows and Tape Loops and you name it. I think there's a, a bit of a musical connection there. Yeah. Who wasn't influenced by the Beatles, as you say? Yeah, that's how we started this conversation. You know, they, they you might be able to argue that, you know, as far as the best band, um, you know, everybody's got their own taste and whatnot, but, you know, and then you rack up numbers, which then can be argued. But as far as influential, there's just no, there's no arguing that point. I mean, you say the Beatles to, I mean, we're talking about Paul McCartney and different people, they, they go around them, you know, and, and how much they're in kind of all. Um, does, did Paul McCartney have 
a moment where he knew the Beatles were done or the music was changing. You know, a lot of times you talk to these guys, especially from the 80s era of hair bands, and they'll have this aha moment where they, you know, booked a gig and they're used to 10, 15,000 people out there and they're finding themselves in front of a Ferris wheel at a county fair and there's 500 people and they're like, music's done. Uh, did he have that with the Beatles? I don't think so, because I don't think the end of the Beatles was primarily because of music. Um, and, and, and certainly towards the end of the Beatles, Paul was really influencing the direction they were going in. But there were differences. I mean, John would have been happy putting out something like Revolution Number no. 9 as a single. Uh, and John really disliked things that Paul was doing, like Maxwell Silver Hammer and Obla Di Obla Da. You know, he found that he called them granny music, whereas John was sort of heading towards the more avant-garde things that, that Yoko wanted to do. But that wasn't getting too much onto Beatles albums, a bit, just a bit. Um, what really kind of broke them up was uh, business disputes about Alan Klein, you know, uh, Paul, Paul felt that Alan Klein would completely rip them off, um, partly because the Rolling Stones, who had brought Alan Klein to the Beatles' attention in the first place, subsequently discovered, while they were still negotiating with Klein, that Klein, while he got them a better contract than they had with Decca, also managed to buy the master tapes of all their albums up to Sticky Fingers and all of their publishing. So the Stones no longer own their early publishing or their early recordings. And Mick Jagger warned Paul about that. Paul tried to warn John. John wasn't listening. George and Ringo went along with John. And that was really the the root of the Beatles falling apart. Um, Until then, everything they had done was unanimous. That was their agreement. If someone wants to do something all four of them have to agree to do it. But um, on May 9th, 1969, they got together uh, to listen to uh, an early mix of what became the Let It Be album. And at that session, the others said, okay, we've signed Alan Klein's contract. You have to sign it tonight because he's going back to New York, has to meet with his board, which is sort of a nonsense explanation. Um, And uh, Paul said, no, I, I, I don't want to. I don't agree with the royalty rate he's getting. I don't believe in the, you know, that we even should have him, but we need to discuss this. And they said, no, Apple's bylaws say that, you know, three to one, we outvote you. That's what it is. And Paul refers to that as the sort of cracking of the Liberty Bell moment, um, because that was when, you know, suddenly they went from everything has to be unanimous to three guys can, uh, you know, overrule one of them and the one of them was him so obviously he didn't like that so that would be the beginning of the end right there that that was the beginning of the end but when they decided not to re-sign with alan klein john lennon said you know um it turns out paul was right (laughs) so wow but isn't that the story with every band i mean you know, Guns N' Roses had the, the manager dispute uh, that, of course, always sides with the lead singer. You know, uh, N.W.A., if you watch that movie, I mean, you saw the siding with Easy e I mean, like, it's just the same story over Queen. If you watch the, the, the bio on that, very similar stuff. I mean, it, you would think at some point in time these bands would learn their lessons. 
Right. But, you know, people are people and they have, you know, everyone has their own way that they want things to go and uh, things can go harmoniously for a decade as, as it did basically with the Beatles. And then something can happen. And, uh, you know, it's it's just one of the sad facts of human nature, unfortunately. Mm. By the way, Let It Be, my all time favorite song ever made. Hmm. It's just one of Paul's. Yeah, it's it's. It's so simplistic. It's beautiful. It makes so much sense. It stands the test of time. Uh, It's catchy. Everything about the song is perfect. Not just great, just perfect. Love, love that song. If I had one minute with him, that's all I'd tell him. Like, hey, Paul, just want to let you know. Love the song. Have a good day. See you later. Uh, Did you ever bring up the, uh, the urban legend of Paul is dead and all that stuff? No, because, you know, that was pretty well sorted out in 1969, I think, even though there are still books about it. And we cover it in the book um, because at the very beginning of the book, there's a scene where uh, uh, a couple of journalists from Life magazine come up to see Paul in Scotland after, you know, John has announced that he wants a divorce from the Beatles and Paul is up in Scotland being incredibly depressed. Uh, and he sees these two people coming and he throws a bunch of, you know, kitchen scraps at them as they walk towards his door. Um, and then he thinks better of it. Um, and they were there to ask him uh, about the Paul is dead thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he decided in the end that uh, that he would give them an interview. And he just denied, you know, yeah, all the these clues, the ridiculous. I, I'm walking across Abbey Road without shoes because it was a hot day and I took my sandals off. You know, there was nothing to it. But, I mean, it's fascinating stuff. And we get into, you know, what a lot of the clues were and, and things in the book just because it's it's it's, uh, you know, it's about things going viral before viral was yeah. a thing. You know, so uh, so we discuss it in the book. I never discussed it with him personally, but um, because I I was pretty sure that the person I was talking to actually was Paul McCartney. So for those that don't know what we're talking about, the conspiracy is, is that Paul McCartney died on November 9th, 1966 and was secretly replaced by a lookalike. And this rumor began circulating in what, 67 and uh, according to the... Th- no, it actually was 69. It, it was 69. around the time the Abbey Road album came out and around the same time the Beatles pro- were, were, you know, John said he wanted to break up the Beatles and Paul went up to Scotland. That was the current thing. It, it, it was 69 that that happened. And he, you know, Paul was communicating through subtle details of the albums. So what you were just talking about, there are all these different clues and people were trying yeah. to figure it out and all that stuff. Right. Not true. Yeah, Paul was the walrus, and you know, the walrus is a Norwegian symbol of death and all that. The funny thing is that, um, you know, when the Life magazine journalists went up there to talk to him, um, all the Beatles had agreed, even though John said, okay, I want out of the Beatles, I want a divorce, they had agreed to keep really quiet about that. And formally, they kept quiet about it until April 1970 when Paul released his McCartney album and included a press kit for the, the press versions with a QA interview uh, and and he's asked or actually asked himself it's a self-interview uh do you envision working with the beatles again in in the future and he says basically no it's a very dyspeptic interview given that paul is the happy thumbs up guy usually uh and 
The funny thing is that in this interview with Life magazine, he just says, yeah, the Beatles thing is over. And the reporters didn't even notice it. And as, as I say in the book, you know, you don't have to play stuff backwards. You don't have to think about whether walruses are really Norwegian death symbols. He says right there, straightforwardly, the Beatles thing is over. And they're so busy focusing on the Paul is dead story that they missed the lead. You know, <laughs> they missed the headline right in there. So, you wow. know. Mm. God, what's your what's your what's your uh, favorite piece of Beatles slash Paul McCartney memorabilia, and what's the most uh, expensive piece of memorabilia do you have? Um, I would say probably um, it's a butcher cover, which was the original cover of the Yesterday and Today album with the Beatles in uh, butcher smocks with slabs of meat and bits of baby dolls all over them. That cover was out for you know very, very short time and it was withdrawn. Um, the stereo version's worth more than the mono version. I have a stereo one that still has the shrink wrap on it because it used to be owned by the critic for Newsweek and he kept it in an envelope. And uh, so it's in absolutely perfect shape. That probably is is my best Beatles thing. Um, I've got in, autographs of all of them. You know, those that's kind of cool. That kind of thing, I suppose. So you do you had some one on one time with John before he died? No, no, sadly. You know, I was in my career, I was just getting to the point where it would have been plausible to think that I could interview him and then he was shot. And uh, so I never, I've talked to Yoko a number of times since then, but uh, but never to John. He, that's he, that's he, one of my great regrets, career he, regrets. He was killed in <laughs> eight, like 81, right? 80, 80. December 8th, 1980. Yeah, which, you know, to us, at least to me, doesn't seem like that long ago. I mean, I know it's the early part of the 80s, but to think that the Beatles, you know, John Lennon was alive in the 80s, just if you say it like that, you're like, really? Well, God, I thought that guy died centuries ago, you know, right around Socrates, man. I didn't know he was around in the 80s. Uh, mm -hmm. Nate, do you have a question for Alan before we let him go? Yeah, I, I'm not, like, uh, super knowledgeable on the Beatles. I, I don't actually know how did everybody get to get like how did they all meet did, were they friends prior or were they just kind of put together how did that how did the Beatles actually come about well you know I mean they 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 got together basically as as kids like you know high school or junior high school age kids and John had a band and uh Paul went to see it because they had a mutual friend and Paul sat down and uh, and took a guitar and played 20 Flight Rock. John was impressed that he knew all the words, so he invited John in. Paul was friends with George because they went to school on the same bus and they were both really interested in guitars. George was a, a, a better guitarist than Paul. Uh, Paul felt at the time and wanted to introduce him to John. So John sort of thought, OK, you know, the kid's 15 years old. I don't know if I want him in the band, but OK, you know, so he got George in. And then Ringo really by by then the Beatles were sort of an established band in Liverpool. They'd played in Hamburg. They knew Ringo. Ringo because Ringo was in a band that was really the biggest band in Liverpool at the time named Rory Storm and the Hurricanes uh, and the Beatles drummer Pete Best uh, they didn't 
feel that he really fit in. And uh, after their first audition, their first recording session for Parlophone or EMI, who the Beatles recorded for, George Martin, their producer, didn't think he was very good. He was going to get a studio musician in. So they invited Ringo to join. And that was all four pieces coming together. It's always the drummer, isn't it? In every band, it's always the original drummer that doesn't make the cut of success. Pearl Jam, you know, you name it. It's always been the drummers in the bands I've been in, I can tell you. (laughs) (laughs) It's always the drummers. All right. Uh, The McCartney Legacy, Volume 1. I hope to have you back on for Volume 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Uh, Absolutely fascinating, fascinating stuff. You are just a... Uh, oh, oh, just a, a well of knowledge. It's 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 awesome. So, Alan Cozen, thank you so much. Uh, buy the book, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, everywhere you get books. Obviously, uh, the McCartney Legacy. Vol- You're going to do an audio. You should have Paul ask Paul to do the audio book version. <laughs> no, we have an audio book. We do have a British reader uh, for it. Um, there's an audio book. There's Kindle. Uh, it's it's out in all formats. <laughs> you try. You you eventually want to uh, maybe sell it to Netflix or something like that. Make a, uh, make a show out of this, a docu-series. One never knows, you know, Adrian, my co-author is a documentary producer. So, um, you know, we have in-house the talent to do it. Yeah. The resources. That's what it's all about. All right. Alan, thank you so much for your time. Buy this book. It is fascinating. Beatles fan or not, uh, just absolutely fascinating stuff. Thanks again, Alan. Talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Hold up. Wait a minute. Let's hear from our sponsors. I absolutely love the relationship that I have with Nuberty's men's wellness facility in Sandy Springs, Georgia. I've been going there for, I guess now two years for testosterone maintenance, and it's totally changed my life. As a 47, almost 48-year-old man, I have the testosterone of somebody in their young 20s, and I feel great, and I look great, too, if I do say so myself. But it's more than that. It's dieting. It's getting your life back on track. It's longevity so you're around for your family, your kids, your friends. So I need you to go to menswellnessleague.com. Schedule an appointment right there on the homepage. You schedule an appointment. I'm in there once a week, and I see a lot of you two percenters up there, and it makes me feel good that you're doing something about your health. And you can get that wellness combine for only $99 because you are a two percenter. That's $200 off the regular price. Plus, if you sign up, you'll get a complimentary vitamin cocktail valued at $150. You'll get a full-body detailed assessment and analysis from their board-certified staff. When you schedule that call, make sure you mention the BS to get this deal. Menswellnessleague.com. All right, full disclosure, yes, Rachel Guy, Rachel the Realtor Guy, is my wife. On top of that, she's one of the best realtors in Atlanta. Uh, she's, well, not just Atlanta, in the whole state of Georgia. I see her all the time driving all over the place for a lot of you two percenters, which I'm totally cool with because she's finding you, some of you, your first house, some of you, your second house, whatever it may be. Everybody's happy when they use my wife to find a house. She's a realtor with Coldwell Banker, so if you're looking to buy or sell, just give her a buzz. Her name is Rachel Guy, and she's your guy. See what we did there? 404-797-4600. That's her private number. Don't get weird on her. Don't get weird on me. 404-797-4600. You want stress-free buying and selling in a really crazy market. So get a hold of her also by email. I am Rachel Guy at gmail.com. And back to you, Jason. (laughs) 
All right, so I finished Don't Pick Up the Phone. And last time when we were talking about it, Nate, you said that I was going to be angry when I when I got through it all. By the way, Don't Pick Up the Phone is on Netflix. It's a docu-series. Yeah, it's a docu-series. Short one. Three yeah. episodes. Mini-series. Yeah, three episodes. Yeah. About a real-life hoax that took place in this country from, what was it, during the 90s, right? It went on for like 10 years? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what would happen was this guy would call up fast food restaurants, namely McDonald's, and say he was a cop and that one of the female employees had stolen money and somehow convinced the guy on the other end of the phone, usually it was a guy, to do a strip search, get oral, make her jump, make her do weird, weird things. And it would go on for hours. This is the oddest, oddest thing that's ever happened in this country. You know, going back to the life expectancy of people maybe not smart enough to do certain things. Holy shit. Like, you're next level stupid if you're buying into this. Each yeah. and every one of these people that fell for this should be sodomized with a cactus. Oh. A cactus. That's how dumb they are. Wow. Yeah, that means a cactus in the bowl. Ooh. Oh, okay. Yeah, just in case you guys didn't know. I can go straight to cactus, skipping other plants. Uh, well, just, I need the spikies. <laughs> Do you know what we're talking about? Have you ever seen, have you seen this? No, I have no idea what this is. Okay. I mean, I know what a cactus is. I know what sodomy is, but yeah, well, it's not. It's uh, they're just you focus on the phone, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> I figured this, this segment was more about those that, that than the yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not about the cactus or the butt. It's 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 about the uh, the the phone stuff. So, anyway, um, you know, the they focus on a couple of the victims. You know, the the one woman in particular that ends up suing McDonald's for over $200 million. I thought she got $6 million. She did, but that's not what she sued for. Oh. Spoiler alert. <laughs> get Jesus, my I've just heard of it, and now it's spoiled for me? Now it's ruined. Yeah. Well, let me get to my punchline. <laughs> so, yeah, they she, they sue for over $200 million, and they ended up settling for just over six. Yeah, which is a, which is a, it's a good pull. I mean, that, that's that's fine. I thought I thought a little over two hundred was was silly. So you said I was going to be angry when it was all said and done, even though they never caught the guy or charged the guy. I guess you could say never found enough evidence to charge their suspect. Let's put it that way. Why am I mad? Because they never caught the guy. They they did catch the guy. He was charged and he went to trial and he was acquitted. He was acquitted. Right. They, they know who he is. I mean, th th this guy got away with it scot-free. That's why he should be because angry. He's a father of five, a prison guard, and he got away with it. Yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, yes to us that are watching it based off of wanting us to believe that that's the guy. But in the court of law, they said he's not the guy. He was acquitted. You know, they, he did not get a jury among his peers to convict him. So even the detectives... Like the one guy in particular that had, I think, like the Boston accent, you know, mm -hmm. that was at the bar, you know, doing the, the interview. He even towards the end started using language like whoever it might be. And he was hell bent on this guy being it throughout the whole thing. But at the end, he started to second guess this guy. Um, now, I do. I think he's the guy. I do. I really do. But. He was never charged. So then you go. He was oh, charged. He was charged. Okay. He went to trial. He, he was charged. He went to trial. He was never convicted. He okay. wasn't convicted. Right. He wasn't Correct. convicted. So they don't have somebody taking responsibility for these hoax calls. Right. Right. And according to our system, he's not the guy. 
So does that mean the guy's still out there or did they just have a really bad prosecution team? No, I think they had a bad jury. I mean, we saw it. They have video of him buying the card that was used to make these phone calls. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much more evidence you need. Well, I mean, I, I could argue that just because you buy the card, unless you see me actually using the card on the phone and you know I'm talking to someone, you've got record of that, I could say I lost the card. I could say, you know, because it wasn't the same card. They didn't have him on camera for every, like, over 70 hoax calls with every card that he was buying. Now, also take into consideration at this time, this is the 90s. CCTV was not as... You know, it's not, it wasn't everywhere like it is now, right? So uh, I could sit there and, and at least put a, a doubt in a juror's mind and say, you know, yeah, he bought the card. He's a victim of circumstance. He lost the card and he never used it. But he was a he was a, a prison guard where he has knowledge of law enforcement and how they work. Yep. And that's exactly what the callers were doing. It doesn't have to be direct evidence. It's circumstantial evidence, but they still have evidence. But what I'm saying is that there's, you can, anybody can shoot holes in that. Yeah, okay, he worked as a prison guard. And I mean, how many people have worked in the system or are former cops, especially ones that have been kicked off the force or ones that went to the police academy and never made it, but still got enough knowledge where they could, you know, go through this. And to be honest with you, you don't even have, I don't, I think if you're a good talker and a great manipulator, you can, you can get through the stuff that he was getting through. I mean, it's not like he was citing code, you know, going, oh, well, you know, according to, you know, the, the book 4532.4, you know, he's not doing any of that. He's just using stuff that he probably saw on television. Well, they searched his trailer and they found guns, police paraphernalia, and training manuals. So pretty good evidence. What does that mean, though? He's not, he's not, yeah. what does the guns have to do with anything? He's not, there was, he was never, he, he never held anybody up. He never shot anybody. Uh, Okay, but he has training manuals and police training manuals, which is what he was doing. There's plenty of people that have gotten convicted for murder that they don't find the murder weapon or even the body. It doesn't mean that he didn't do it. Probably I mean, yes, not. you're right. They can they can they can argue it, but well, that's that, what that doesn't doing. take away from this evidence. But you're right. But I, that's what I'm doing is I'm I'm, I'm being devil's advocate. I'm arguing. So I'd have been such a great attorney because all you have to do is get to one person and have them doubt, and that's all you got to do. You know, just put one piece of information out there that could go, oh, you're right. It, and, and, and what they, a juror is going to do, I know I would probably do this. I mean, you're, you're sitting here, life or death, you know, for the rest of your life or how many years you're going to be spending in jail, you have that power. And if there is any doubt, you know, that's when I saw the card and the guy was arguing it. You know, the, the detective was arguing. It's like, I don't understand how they could not convict this this guy, we've got video footage of him buying the calling card that was used for one of these hoax calls. I'm like, that's your smoking gun? That's not good enough. There's 10 million things that could have happened to that gift card. You could go and find 100 people randomly, just walk outside your door you know, to, to a mall and find 100 people that have said they've lost the gift card or they've lost the calling card. But who was still buying calling cards in the 90s? Oh, it, it was a thing. I, I was. I can tell you that. Long distance calling card, sure. Actually, but that, is that, was, that, was one of my, that was one of my first businesses. Is It was a pyramid uh, thing. It was called STS. 
and it was a call. You would buy in for it was like five hundred dollars. You would get X amount of minutes on calling cards, and then you'd want to sign somebody up for the same thing, and then they would be under you. And then every time they sold, you would get a percentage. It was just the the Amway, the pyramid thing. Oh. But calling cards in the nineties were were very popular, very very popular. Also among yeah. serial killers. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> you don't get that these days. Today's serial killers, man. There's no pageantry. There's no calling cards. I I didn't think they could trace it. I, that I, that's one of the things that I was shocked at or surprised at that that guy was able to, and he worked hard because contacting. I think it was AT and T. At he he went through numerous people, and they're like, I don't know how to do that. I don't think we could do that. You know that that wasn't whoever invented the calling card. You know, for said company, didn't at one time say. You know, it would probably be a good idea to be able to easily trace these in case something happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, war, well, the, the war on terror is just beginning. It would be nice to be able to trace these, you know. Yeah. Well, and that's what they said in the documentary is that after 9-11, they were able to trace mm-hmm. them because, yeah, they had that idea. But if you if you had a vi- if you found the gun, a gun with this guy's fingerprints or, you know, a picture of him with the gun and then also him buying the gun at a store. Yeah. It doesn't mean he, he shot somebody, but chances are you're going to, you're, you're going to connect the two. If they murdered somebody with the same gun, you saw him buying, you can't say, Oh, well I bought the gun, but somebody else used it to murder somebody. I mean, generally the, the jury is going to convict them. Do you know how many times that excuse has probably been used though? Oh yeah. It yeah. doesn't work though. That's yeah. the thing. Uh, but it worked here for some reason. Well, I think it's a little bit different because you have ballistics and the bullets, and then you can trace back, you know, the, where, them buying the bullets. And there, there's a little bit more, I think, that goes into the gun. Than- that's what they did here. They traced it back to the video of him buying the same card that was used to call this number. But, yeah, I understand that. But that doesn't mean he used the card. That's what I'm saying is that, like, all you that's all the court system is. That's all you need to do is say to one person, one person has to go, yeah, you know, and I don't know what the excuse is. I, it, maybe I missed that, but what was the excuse that they gave to say that he did not use the calling card? Did they even say? I don't know what excuse they used no. to say he didn't use the calling card, but the, the argument his attorney made was that he wasn't smart enough to commit this crime. That was his argument. See, that, so I think that's a bad argument. <laughs> yeah. And, and keep in mind, it's not just any doubt. It has to be a reasonable doubt it's not just like any doubt in somebody's mind it's not like oh you know the the tooth fairy came in and could have done it it has to be like a reasonable doubt i don't think there was any reasonable doubt here well they I think did. The, the jury was probably a jury of his peers or maybe the people that were falling for this because they didn't seem very bright yeah you're right it is reasonable doubt but we'll never know until afterwards what's going on in that juror's brain you know what re- i mean people still think oj did it and he was acquitted there was reasonable doubt. You know, at least one person thought there was reasonable doubt. And reasonable is subjective because it's reasonable to you. There's no set of rules that you have to follow that is mandated from the court system to say, this is the definition of reasonable doubt that you have to follow. And if there are, they're not followed. It's just each person in particular going, I have reasonable doubt to feel like that person did not do this or believe whatever. The, I mean, we can talk to Manny about this next time he comes in, and he could tell us some tricks of the trade. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's theater. It's Shakespeare. That's all it is. You know, um, what yeah. defense attorneys they've convicted, do. They've convicted people for less evidence than this, so it's just kind of surprising to me. And, I, and I'd be curious to, to know if in the trial, 
I don't know if they said anything about, did he use any kind of voice changer, but you think they would have been able to have a voice sample of this guy and then have the people that he called listen and see if it was the same voice. Mm -hmm. Agree. Now I will say this on why I was skeptical if he was the guy, because he was not very smart, you know, from how they portrayed him at least He, he, you know, he's kind of a country bumpkin. I would think that the person that was doing this was actually fairly intelligent. And I say that because this is a psychological turn on. This isn't a look at her titties. It's a site. It's, it's all your, it's the power over somebody else. That doesn't strike me as something that comes from a less educated person. You know, they're more the, the more simple-minded individual is going to go for the low-hanging fruit. Something as intricate as this, I would feel would be done by a more highbrow intellectual person. That's just my own theory. That's my own two cents. I don't think anything he did was intellectual. He called people who weren't that bright and he puppet mastered them to do dumb things. Yeah, that's that's totally an intellectual mind play. That's a muni- being a manipulator. Think about the great manipulators that we know of. They're usually bad people, right? The ones that you hear of, the serial killers, the scammers, those types of people. And they're I use the word great, not in as they're great people, but they're very good at what they do. It is an art form. I think that it's actually built into your DNA from birth. Like I'm a good manipulator, but there are people out there that will manipulate circles around me. And that's that's a special somebody. That's a special somebody. They're usually fairly intelligent. Look at all the quote-unquote great ones. You know, they end up being serial killers and, you know, terrorists or whatever the case may be, but they're all intellectual. They, they, they have a higher form of education. They're smart. They went to MIT or they did something like that. Mm. Uh, you know, so that's my that's my two cents. I mean, I'm not. But, but why do we think this guy is not intellectual? I mean, he he was smart enough to be able to pass, you know, um, not military, uh, like officer, police officer exams and things like that. Like he's a manipulative person because he he's basically. I mean, his job is to control people. All right, he's a he was a prison guard. Yeah, but let's be honest. I mean, it doesn't take a Harvard degree to be a. Corrections office. I mean, no we have offense, to we have ladies. to go and to school. We have to we do have to take tests. Okay, okay. there are things you have to do. All right. I, All right? I'm talking about the 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 next 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 level of, of smart. <laughs> oh, okay. now well, now you don't have to be. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to buy a calling card on camera and then call people with it. No, no, <laughs> I mean, no, 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 no. That that's that's the simple part of it. The, the talking part of it, that's not easy to do. I mean, granted, we're, we're putting all the pressure on the person on the other side of the phone on how stupid they were to fall for it. And there's no doubt that they are extremely stupid to fall for it. But yeah. to be able to talk to somebody, not have any visual contact for hours, and then make them do something to somebody else, that takes a very smart person, a very good manipulator. You know, you've got the right recipe. And he did it over, what, 70 times, right? I think I'm saying the number right, over 70 times. The, the probability of finding over 70 people randomly at these fast food restaurants that are all that stupid is, is, is tough. There's going to be some people that have half a brain that are picking up the phone. And, you, and you're able to manipulate them. 
So you understand what I'm saying? Like I understand. Uh, the, the, the top notch manipulator, like look up some of these, like uh, the Unabombers and stuff like that. They were like MIT people, weren't they? Yeah. 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 They went to like uh, nice schools and, you know, they, they were very well educated. And even I think some of them brought up in good households and their fathers and mothers were very successful in well, intellects. To be like a serial killer or something, I feel like you have to have a degree of intelligence, right? To get away with it for so long. Because if you're dumb and you murder someone, you just get caught immediately, right? Yeah. And if you're really, really smart, then well, you don't get caught. I don't know. I watch a lot of, you know, like the crazy bitch network shows and the ones that like take the most time to like cover things up and they turn off their phone and whatever, they always get caught. But then like the dumbass that leaves like a bloody shirt in his living room never doesn't get caught for like 40 years for some reason. <laughs> the guy that walks into the police station goes, I did it. It's like, there's no way this guy. No, 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 you didn't do it. No, really. I, I like, here's the weapon. I did it. No, 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 I no, have no, no. video. It's like Shaggy, the Shaggy song. It wasn't me. I, I think it, I think it was the guy that did the algorithm of killing people. <laughs> well, and the other other evidence, which they probably couldn't see in court, was uh, he was arrested in two thousand four, and all of the calls stopped when he was arrested. So, right, I mean, come on, yeah, <laughs> but you can't go back. Yeah, you exactly. can't you can't try him again. You can't double jeopardy. Do you think the the woman that went through the hell that she went through? Uh, and it was real. Like, if I were a McDonald's eater, I would probably stop eating McDonald's at least for a period of time after watching this. I thought it was a really dick move to blame this woman. I mean, essentially, what they were saying in order for them not to pay was, "You're an idiot. You fell for it." Instead of taking responsibility and go, "We're sorry this happened to you under our watch," because there was evidence that this was being reported within the company and they didn't spread it around. You know, they yep. didn't communicate it to their people. So like you, you think, you know, a big corporation that's got a few dollars to spare to save face. Now you might not want to necessarily admit and they never did that they were at fault, but me personally, and I know that's a legal thing because once you do that, you open up kind of Pandora's box, but if you're wrong, you're wrong. And if people know you're wrong, they know you're wrong. The best defense is just, you know, Dana White. You know, damn phone. Dana White, you know, <laughs> slapping, beating up his wife. He goes on television the next day. I'm wrong. I did it. I, I'm sorry. And then it kind of goes away, right? It just you got to fess up to it. They never did. Even at the very end when they put out a statement, they never admitted wrongdoing. It was kind of shitty. I thought it was, it was really... It was a bad look on uh, on their part, to be honest with you. Did any of the fast food restaurants take? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know that any of them was just like, oh, it's our fault. But McDon the one with the girl in the McDonald's was the big case. You know, that would have set uh, probably the precedent. You know, and granted, they asked for way too much. Uh, but walking away with $6 million is pretty good. But she, you know, I believed everything she said. I mean, she was very innocent. She was... I don't think she was out for money. How could you not believe it? Look at the video. <laughs> that video was so hard to watch. Yeah, but when you get into the, like they show this, the 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 statement from the prosecution, or I mean, yeah, uh, no, the defense to the jury, and they go, the, the guy says, he start, the, the clip that they pull is, look at how much money she's asking for. I think that answers the motive here. I was like, what is it? I mean, that's good on, if you're a lawyer, but what a douchey thing to say. Exactly. Because you know you're not getting two, 200 million. It's not like Brandon's asking, you know, $250,000 for a sprinkler company. You know, and damn well he's not going to get it. But 
you know, you want to settle around at least, you know, between half and three quarters of what All you're right, asking for. He might get it now. Give me to my brand and let me hold $5 when he get that big 250 I, 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 <laughs> If, if Brandon gets $250,000 for his company, I will personally wash his balls. Oh. <laughs> All right. Because here earlier oh. first, we can kickstart that. Right. Oh, wow. Uh, you can get right up in there with a camera and I'll <laughs> scrub away. Hey, there's your YouTube channel, too. <laughs> yeah. 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 That should probably get some views. Let's give it to you straight to Bornhub. And another thing I, I'm, I'm thinking of when I was watching this show is, you know, it's not so much anymore. Prank calls aren't a thing. But prank calls were a thing in the 80s especially. And I think even into the 90s. Yeah, even in the 90s. Did you prank call? All the time. All the time. All the time. All the time. I love. We used to prank call too. Really? <laughs> I always thought that was more of a thing that like just kind of happened in movies, but nope. nobody would actually do. You know, no, we used to prank call people. <laughs> what would you do? Do you have like. Oh. We'd be like, is your refrigerator running? You better go catch it. <laughs> See, that's the thing that seems like it's only in movies. Like, you, you got a minute? Yeah. Okay. okay. You asked, what did we do? Yeah. Oh, okay. You, you, you got it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can just yeah. relax. Yeah. Sit oh. back. Oh, boy. Uh, so before we graduated, which would have been uh, 1993, my best friend at the time, Peacock, and I sat in my bed together, and we went through the phone list of everyone in our class. And the next day was the last day of exams. And so we called up as our high school football coach and we took turns. We didn't, you know, there's no way to record any of this. Nobody knew about it. We just did it, right? And we star 67 before every call because we were so smart. And we would call up and we like, hello, it's Sean Kaoria. Okay, he's sleeping. Tell him this is Coach Dowing and just let him know. Tomorrow, don't forget your number two pencil. Okay, good night. That's all we did. We called up every single, because we only had 101 people in our graduating class. So two of them were doing this. So you got 99 left, right? And, and, and that's what we did. We just called up at 99 phone calls we made that night. And our payoff of doing this was next day when we got to school, everyone was talking about it. Everybody's like, did Coach Dowling call you last night? <laughs> And like we never we I don't, to this day I don't think we ever told people it was us. Oh, that's funny. Uh, this might be the first time publicly admitting this. To be honest with you, <laughs> and, and every once in a while when we reconnect and we're talking, it'll come up as a great story. Mm. That's a great prank prank phone call. Yeah, a long lasting bit. Right, exactly. So silly, so stupid, but yet harmless. Yeah, right. And it affected so many people. You know, and it was like a public service announcement. Like you had to have a pencil. You had to have a number two pencil. You're so. doing good for the community. <laughs> <laughs> then as I got older, they got just as good. Right? <laughs> and when I say older, like in my twenties, and my go-to prank call in my twenties, I would do it by myself. And what I would do, and this was very creative. This is very clever prank calling. <laughs> If you've ever been to Publix grocery store in the deli department, and I, I, I don't know if they still have it because I, I don't shop at Publix often and I don't get a lot of pub subs, but back in the day, that's all I lived on was pub subs. And they would have the number for the deli by their phone in the deli. They'd want you to call ahead of time and order your subs. That's why they put the number up there. So I'd go to the deli to order a sub, and there'd usually be like four or five, six people deep. 
So I would call the number while I'm waiting in line and watch her go back and forth to the phone. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's a prank, though. Oh, it's a prank. (laughs) It would take her, I mean, I had time on my hands, so I did it for my own amusement. It would take her forever to make these subs. It was hilarious because it was like usually one person in the deli. Right. And, you know, and then she started to get frustrated. And then she started to tell the person she's making the sub for. So they keep hanging up. I don't know. They just, no, nobody's there. I didn't film any of it. I didn't have it. I didn't know way to film. You know, I'm not bringing a camcorder with me. Yeah. It was just a prank call. It was funny to me. But now if you were to do something like that, I think you get arrested. Right? I mean, like somebody would find like, mental abuse of blah, 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 and it, it made me cut off my pinky finger. It would be some big ordeal versus just, ha-ha, you called me in a weird voice and told me to bring a number to pencil the next day. Mm. They said it was harassment now. Harassment, yeah, there you the go. Same thing yeah. like, the same thing like how when we were younger, you know, we'd go knock on people's doors, but you do that now? Ring doorbell's going to catch you. Oh, yeah. You're getting busted. I, I got ding-dong ditched recently, and I had the ring doorbell, and I was like, who is this motherfucker? <laughs> who is this motherfucker? It's like, you know, it's a little girl. <laughs> Kill this motherfucker. Don't you touch my door. <laughs> can, can, can I ask you a personal question? Yeah. I've always wanted to ask this question to an African-American. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. I know. <laughs> I'm bracing myself. See, everybody <laughs> thought it, right? Everybody thought it. You know what I'm going to ask her right now. Everybody thought I, it I, when I, she said it, but no one's going to ask her. But well, Br- uh, Brando might be a little too young to know. That's why he used the updated term, probably. <laughs> Wait, was it? Oh, there's there, another. There's okay. A- Do you know the other term for what you were just talking about? The yes. ding. Okay. Do do does the black community use that term? Yes. Okay, it, but it's not racist when you guys do it, right? I mean, we've always called it that. Um, okay. So so it's understood that that's the term. Mm-hmm. Okay, so can white people use it? No. Can we say what it is? I've or never is that... heard a black person. I mean, I've never heard a white person say it. I've only heard black people well, say it. Well, that's out of respect. Oh, so you guys said it to each other. Not me, but <laughs> Nate, <laughs> Nate and Brandon did. <laughs> no, I just heard about it from Jason. <laughs> I, Brandon's got it on his wall. Like, <laughs> do, you, do you know the term? No, I have no, I'm trying to look it up now. I found out there's a bunch of different words for it, a d- bunch of different terms for it. Well, I'm not going to say the word, and I don't want you to say it. Oh, the it's word. that kind of word. It's, 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 yeah. Got it. Got it, got it, got it. No, I've not said that before. You know, you can figure it out if you're listening. I'm not going to use that word, obviously. But, <laughs> um, but I've always wanted to know, like, it, it was like, because coming up as a kid, you would, there's these different terms, and you wouldn't look at it as racist. You just look at it, that's the term, mm-hmm. right? You didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. And then you get older, and it's kind of cemented that that's the term, and realize it's extremely racist. It is. It is. And then Even you go, like the meaning of it and, and why they call it that. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's factual, but. How did it even start? Why is it called N-word knocking? I, how, did, how did that even start? What does that even mean? It's the running away part. That's why. You got to so, be fast. No, it's oh. trying to run away from when you were a slave and trying to escape. Ah. So that's why they call uh, it I that. don't know about uh, all that. Well, I, think I thought it was because it was at night. And they're black. Can you, and you're running away wait, from a door. <laughs> but, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know about the whole slate. I think that's, I think that's, well, that's, there's that's a, where it comes from. There's a bunch of other words like that, though, that we use normally. I learned recently picnic is a pretty racially, you know, motivated word. You would never think it. 
But well, if you replace the C with another letter, well, I sure. Can see but that. I think yeah. that's what it originally is. <laughs> yeah. oh. Okay. Oh so, yeah, that's why. That's why. Do you know I that for a fact that. that that is, or is that just that's something somebody fact. told? It? Like fact from where? Like that's where it originated from the term. I that's understand. why why other black people use the term, and it wasn't like a, a racial thing. I didn't know oh. anybody <laughs> else called it that. <laughs> why do you think it's not that? It, I mean, it seems pretty. It makes sense, Cut and I dry. guess. Oh, no, it doesn't make sense. The, the running part makes sense. That one I can buy into, but I don't know about the whole slave days thing. I think that's a little bit too much. Well, the well, running that's part, what, yeah, escaping from? slavery. <laughs> no, 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 not escaping. Just the fa- the black guy's faster than the white guy. That's that's the. I'm, I, oh. I, I I think it's put it a little bit more basic. But I maybe I'm, I'm I'm probably wrong. I don't know. I just that's my own personal opinion. I don't know. <laughs> Some guy always like some stranger will tell you a story and you'll retell that story for like 30 years. But then Nikki, who, you know, tells you something. You're like, yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) He does this every time I give him a black history fact. He doesn't want to believe any of my black history facts, but I'm his. Why would you know anything about that? Well, crazy. Let let me respond to that by saying, now you know what it feels like. (laughs) Now you know what it feels like. That's the story of my life every time I tell a story. (laughs) Every time I open my mouth, I get a kickback. It's not true. (laughs) Didn't happen. But then we look it up and it's not true. That's the difference. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) No. Obviously, I... I said something as simple as I ate donuts when talking about the story at the casino on Wednesday's show. Nobody, be- Nikki didn't believe me. You're like, what's so crazy? Jason ate donuts. That is crazy. Had to bring my wife down. No, no, not an apology. Not a, hey, you know what? My bad for doubting you. I'll never do it again. It well, just kind I don't of blew over. I don't even know why Nikki doubted you. Your your house is full of snacks all the time. All the time. Exactly. All the time. You are correct. All the time. Okay. Well, um, but you get uh, busted for trust. You know, the last time I did that, I, what'd you call it? Ding dong ditch. Ding dong ditch. Yeah. Ding dong ditch. Last time the I PC did. Term. Last time I did that, I was, I can tell you, I, I know, I, I can smell that night. It was kind of chilly. And it was when I lived in Maryland. I think I was probably about 10 years old. And we would go around often, the, the community, like at sunset, like more towards when it's dark. And we would do that. You know, before we had to be in for dinner and it was just something fun and we'd run and chase each other and giggle and just as kids. Now, we had a very big piece of land. Actually, I want to send you guys a video of the house I grew up in. They, My mother sent it to me. She found it. She's like, I'm sending you a link from YouTube. <laughs> and they, I mean, they've totally renovated this house. It's nothing like what it was, but it's you'll you'll get the gist of it. Right. Anyway, we had a very large piece of property that sat on the water. This is in Severna Park, Maryland. On our property was another house that back in the day, day, who owned the property, sold a piece of the land to these people. Their last names, uh, the last name was the Zanones. They were the Zanones. And it was husband and wife and then two kids that eventually went to jail for life for murder. And they used to babysit me as a kid. And so we, one night, uh, my neighbor, Pammy, and I went and ding-dong ditched the Zanones. And as we were running through their backyard, like not trying to be sneaky at all, like literally they're in our yard. So we're just running through their backyard, hopping the fence to our yard. Mr. Zanone stops us and he doesn't know it's us, but he stops us. He catches us and we're like, oh, it's just us. We're sorry. We're just, you know, playing on, you know, goofy. He goes, he had a shotgun in his hand and he goes, you can't do this because I almost shot you. Wow. And I said, 
Oh, thanks. Stop not doing that. <laughs> they did me a solid on that one. <laughs> True story. And uh, I, I never, I never did it. I mean, that's that's a good lesson to learn, right? There. Yeah, there he is. Yeah, and he, and he, had, he had like an old, like old shotgun. You know, like you know the hammers that pull back and yeah, all that yeah. stuff. You know, old shotgun. He's like, what are you? He's he's Italian, of course. And no, he's what the fuck you doing? Yeah. Last time, huh? That's where his kids probably got the uh, murder bug in them. What, both of his kids are in jail? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for life, yeah. Mur- they murdered, uh, it was a, I think a drug deal or a homeless guy. Mur- beat him to death with their hands. Oh, my God. Sheesh. Old school. Uh, one's ex-military. Remember the day he went to went into the Army? Big dude, jacked. He'd always be outside in the morning. He had a boxing uh, a, 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 a punchy bag outside. And every morning, like first thing in the morning, before the rooster started to crow, <laughs> and he'd do bare knuckle too. So he had blood, he had tape around and blood all over. And he went into the army, and then we moved, and then I found out later. And they used to babysit me. We used to play in television at their house all the time. They had in television. Uh-huh. You know what that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was even before ColecoVision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way before Atari. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was a thing. Better times, yeah, better times. They were better trying days. to make a comeback recently, actually. In television, yeah, I don't think it, I don't think it went anywhere. But they were at the E three, which is like the big games conference, and they were like, "Check it out, we're bringing it back." And I think COVID might have killed it. Yeah, that was the, really the most basic of video games you could possibly. Get. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was pretty it was pretty bad. Do you guys, Nate? Do you ever do phony phone calls, goofy phone calls? Yeah, I mean, kind of just like what Nikki was saying, just like the standard ones when we were kids, or we would call, um, what's that, QVC? Remember, oh, yeah, like the, yeah, yeah, the Home yeah. Shopping Network? I would do that, too. We'd yeah. call them, yeah, and just fuck with them or whatever. But I think the <laughs> I think the updated prank call is the catfish. Yes. Instead of well, pretend, or fucking with somebody on the phone, it's pretending to be someone else and fucking with them mentally. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. seems way worse. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty hardcore. I mean, that's on the same lines of what this guy did in... And don't pick up the phone. I mean, it, that, that can the catfish thing can scar you for the rest of your life. I mean, look at the Mante Teo thing, mm-hmm. and that's probably like the most yeah. famous catfish uh, of all time. Brandon, you didn't grow up in the prank call generation, so you never did. Yeah. Not really, but they have these apps that we get on the phone, and basically you would you know put in the number, and it would change your phone number, and then it would just be a pre-recording of someone else. Like, hey, man, I know what you do with my wife. And then be like, who the fuck is this? And be like, meet me here. They're like, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> so basically it'd just be like a computer talking to him. Yeah. be pretty funny. But my buddy uh, my buddy Justin did do that to our other buddy where he, like, catfished him. And this guy was, I mean, he was, like, in love, like, seriously in love, and it got way too far. And he had ended up telling him he didn't talk to him for, like, six months. He was. Oh, he was no. pretty pissed about it, dude. No, no, the only thing we like that we would do is we'd like steal. Oh, okay. Wait. Uh, this is kind of a crank call. I knew there was a girl at uh, our college radio station who I did not like, but I knew she had a crush on a friend of mine. So I went in her phone and I changed her number, like my number to his, his name, you know? Yeah. And I started texting her as if I was him. That was that was pretty <laughs> shitty. So excited about it. That was man, that was like one of the worst things I think I've ever done. That was really shitty. I, I, I did the fu- I started I started texting. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, wait, I did do a funny prank thing that actually was really mean and not fun. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Watch the the don't uh, pick up the phone. It's it's good. And Nate is kind of right. It'll leave you a little irritated that they didn't. They caught you know they caught the bad guy supposedly, but the bad guy goes free. Everybody else has got to suffer, but I I think more or less you're going to be irritated that there's so many stupid people in this world. Like I mean, that's it's next level dumb. Really, it is next level dumb. 
All right. Uh, everything's better with... Fuck, here we go. Whatever we do, it's better with... Fuck! What? Everything's better with the... Fuck! And are you ready to give a fuck about your health? And check out our friend Chef Erica, ericanicoleday.com, E-R-I-C-A, NicoleDay.com, experienced culinary medicine consultant. She's a private chef. She's a medical high-end restaurant background, and she's awesome, like just an awesome person. And she is available for consulting on meal planning, uh, weight loss, helping out with any medical conditions you might have, and you got to change up that diet. If you're into bodybuilding or fitness, especially the hardcore, the strict macros, she can help you out there as well. EricaNicoleDay.com. If anything, just reach out to her and say thanks for uh, helping out the show. And just hello, because she really is. I mean, she's one of our biggest supporters. She has been from day one. She's pretty cool. All right, so we're just talking about don't pick up the phone. So as we've changed up, everything's better with fucking to more of a trivia game for you guys. Also, the scoring system for me, these would be best phone scenes in a movie. Okay? Okay. And and when I say best phone scenes, I use that term loosely. They're just phone scenes. <laughs> Any phone scenes in movies. Try searching for that and getting some decent audio to do this bit. It's not the easiest things to do. <laughs> thing to do. All right. So here's how this works, Evan. So if you're new to this, uh, I'm going to play a clip. I'll, the the flex will be inserted. You'll go. I'll go around the uh, the show, and everybody will grade it one to ten, with ten being the best. All right. The winner out of the three clips gets played again. All right. And then after we grade, which will end with you, then you guys just jump in and give me the name of the movie and year. Okay? You yep. get a point for each. Okay. Here, here's my first one. Again, better with fuck, best phone scenes, uh, best phone scenes in a movie. Best phone scenes in a movie. How are you today, sir? Well, we've had a bit of bad luck this morning, as you may have heard. Yeah, I heard, and oh, I'm all broken up. Boy, what a blow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it's been a tough morning, and uh, we've got a lot of family business to take care of, so if you wouldn't mind excusing Sloan, I'd uh, appreciate it. Well, uh, sure. Yo, I'd be happy to. Yeah, you uh, you, you just fuck the corpse, and uh, I'll release Sloan. I want to fuck his dead grandmother firsthand. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nate, one out of ten. What do you got? Let me write everybody's down there. Nate, you got... Brandon, you got Nikki, and you got Evan. All right, go ahead. Man, uh, that was a really good one. Thank you. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start off with a nine. Ah, I like it. 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 All right, B man. Yeah, fucking the dev corpses. I like that. I'm gonna start off high too. I'm gonna give it an eight. An eight. All right. I like that too. All right, Nick D. I actually like that one as well. The corpse one got me, so I'm gonna give it an eight. Eight. All right. There you go. I'm feeling an eight as well. That was a banger. A lot of pressure. You're going an eight as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. I'm gonna count down from three. Go ahead and call it out. The movie and the title, and you get a point if I hear your first. Three, two, one, go. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Eighty-four. Nineteen eighty-four. Okay, Ferris Bueller goes to Evan. I heard him first. Uh, year, I'm going to uh, say 86. 86 is the year, yes. Damn. Yeah. Shit. Sorry, guys. 84 is not the year. All right, very good. Best phone scenes in a movie. Better with fuck. <laughs> Next one. Here we go. What do you... Hold on, other line. I'm not taking this anymore. Good for you, Gretchen. Hello? Let's fuck. Okay, hold on. I'm on the other line with Gretchen. Don't fuck. Gretchen, she's driving me nuts. Hold on. Okay. 
Quick, short, but still very good. That's a good one, Nate. And it's hard to set the bar real high with the first one. Um, I will give this one a seven. Ooh, I'm not giving that an applause. Brandon. Yeah, it was, it was a little all over the place. You know, it was kind of hard to follow. I'm going to give it a seven as well. What are you talking about? It's a phone call. So three people, <laughs> seven. Okay, whatever. Uh, Nikki. I like effing Gretchen, so I'm going to give it a nine. Thank you, Nikki. You get an applause. <laughs> All right, Evan? I think this was also an eight. An eight. Solid okay. movie, solid choice. I'll take that. An eight. All right, meaning that he knows the movie. Here we go, boys and girls. In three, two, one, go. Mean Girls. Okay. Oh, mean Girls. 2004. Okay, Mean Girls, yes. Nikki in yeah. 2004 is correct. Uh, Evan. So there you go. Three yeah. points, Evan. <laughs> that. I'm going to get another one of these. Nikki beat me to it. It's fine. I'm fine. It's cool. Get one of those. I know. You don't have to say it. You're at a disadvantage, Nate and Brandon, because there's a little bit of a way. I know. I know. I know. Just start saying it at one. That's, <laughs> that's why we don't yeah. do a lot of these types of games. I know. Uh, okay. Brandon and I are living in the future over here. <laughs> the uh, last clip. Better with fuck. Best phone scenes in a movie. Here we go. Hello. This is a collect call from... Your baby boy. To accept charges, say yes. Yeah, I'll accept. Hey, Dad, how's it going? How's Florida? Not too bad. Your mother got a sunburn playing tennis yesterday. I got some interesting news. Oh, yeah? What? Kind of fuck the kid. What the hell are you talking about? Ooh, thought Brandon would like that one a lot. <laughs> kind of fucked a kid. Uh, Nate, one out of ten. I like this one better than the last. Maybe not as good as the first one, so I will go eight on this guy. All right, eight gets an applause. Brandon? Yeah, I'm digging this one. I'm going to give it a nine. Nine. I figured you would. Uh, Nikki D. Um, this one's pretty good. I'm going to give it a seven. Uh, seven. That's not good. All right. Nevin? Uh, I think I'm going to give it a six. Maybe because I don't know the movie, but it, it didn't speak to my soul. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it didn't speak to my fucking soul. You don't like fucking kids, Evan? Uh, well, on the fence. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going to count down and tell me the movie of the year. Three, two, one, go. Weekend at Bernie's. Daddy. Nate's Big Daddy. Yes. Oh, very sad. good. Year. Uh, 2001? 99? 99 is correct. Damn. Get some dings. You get a buzzer. Uh, I hate the buzzer. And then Nate gets an applause. <laughs> Just got to remember where I'm at. <laughs> you get a ding, you get a ding, you get a ding. Let me do some uh, quick math. That's uh, 14, 15, 24. Oh, no, that's the wrong way. Sorry. That's 24. That's 33. That's 14, 15, 24, 31. That's 15, 21, 29. Okay, so the winner is the first one. All right, here we go. Uh, best phone scenes in a movie. Here's who won this week. That would be Ferris Bueller's Day Off from 1986. How are you today, sir? Well, we've had a bit of bad luck this morning, as you may have heard. Yeah, I heard, and... Oh, I'm all broken up. Boy, what a blow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it's been a tough morning, and uh, we've got a lot of family business to take care of, so if you wouldn't mind excusing Sloan, I'd uh, appreciate it. Well, uh, sure. Yo, I'd be happy to. Yeah, you uh, you, you just fuck the corpse, and uh, I'll release Sloan. I want to fuck his dead grandmother firsthand. <laughs> 
Podcastthebs.com. That is our website. Please visit. Become a premium two percenter. That means you're going to subscribe. Uh, we've added some good things to you premium two percenters outside of the early release of the shows, the option for commercial free. Now you get a full length uh, video show. A link will be given to you usually on Wednesdays and uh, you get to see the videos. Everybody wanted that. Um, there's a good chance that we're going to start doing all the shows that way. I think I found a sponsor, which is really, really neato. Um, yeah, what else do we offer? There's something else. Oh, the bonus stuff, bonus content that we're about to give you here. So stick around after the outro and you get more show. And that's all becoming a, a premium two percenter. It's $4.99 a month. And, you know, you help us out like, you know, Brandon's going to be broke. So he needs money to go into the car business or whatever it is. Podcastthebs.com, also our social media. Please like, share. Uh, especially the content that we post on a daily basis. That's going to help us grow, get bigger and bigger, bigger, like an erection. And uh, also on the website, the top three playlist, our merch store and more. With that being said, Nate, you got anything before we get out? Don't move to Mississippi unless you want to die. Don't move to Mississippi unless you want to die. <laughs> All right, Brandon. Uh, they're not dead if they're still warm. Ooh. That's disgusting. Nikki. <laughs> Don't get black history facts on black people. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. And Evan. Uh, carefully look up the origin of any word before you use it. There you go. Nicely done. <laughs> As always, thanks for listening. Have yourself a great and safe weekend. Appreciate the support. Talk soon. Stick around. Premium 2 percenters. More show. Bye. Get off my lawn. It's old man Kevin, and the BS is done for right now. Please share, like, and support podcastthebs.com. It's better than radio. Now, get out of here.